Welcome into the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast, where we provide you with your weekly diagnosis of everything fantasy football, whether it's season-long leagues, dynasty, DFS, or sometimes even IDP. We got you covered all year long. Let's do it, let's do it, let's get to it. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And of course, as always, your host, John June. And again, y'all, appreciate the support. Appreciate all of y'all checking us out on YouTube or the podcast. It's been phenomenal, and, you know, we couldn't be more grateful. You know, we, we obviously, if you haven't realized all the divisional breakdowns that we've done they're up on youtube so definitely want to check that out um also want to thank all the phenomenal guests that we've had on i mean this series has just been it's been great uh we've got one more left i mean this is the seventh one that you're about to hear right now with the nfc west but then after that all we have left is the afc west and so you know obviously as the the common theme has been Phenomenal guests all around, um, starting with the Seattle Seahawks. Amar Gaber came on to talk about the those boys up in Seattle. And then in regards to the San Francisco 49ers, my guy Jeff DiMatteo, he came on as well, at NFL underscore DiMatteo on Twitter. Uh, Amar Gaber is at A-M-R-G-A-A-B-R on Twitter. Um, and then and to talk about the LA Rams, we had... Laquan Jones at Real Deal Fantasy. And then to talk about the Arizona Cardinals, we had Andrew of the Fantasy Fringe at Andrew underscore Fringe. So phenomenal lineup, phenomenal guest. So you definitely want to check that out. Another thing that you guys will want to check out, something that's very important to me here at the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. It's important to, to all of us here at the Fantasy Football Diagnostics Podcast. And that, if you don't know by now, if you haven't been following on Twitter, is Fantasy for Unity. Um, it's a charity fantasy football tournament, which we've dubbed the Unity Bowl. And basically, uh, all you have to do to enter in the Unity Bowl, and it's a large field tournament, PPR league, you know, your standard redraft. We're going to have a, a draft, hopefully starting August 15th. We just have to get spots filled up. And basically, all you need to do to enter this tournament is make a $20 donation to one of three charities, either the ACLU, the Conscious Kid, or the Equal Justice Initiative. So if you make a donation of at least $20 to one of those three char- charity or charitable organizations, and you screenshot that and send it to uh, either at Fantasy for Unity on Twitter or at Fantasy for Unity um, on Instagram, or you can email it over to fantasyforunity at gmail.com. And so, again, this is something that's very important to me. It's very important to us. Uh, we started the idea, was brought to me by a friend of mine, Sonny Platt, of the Big Knowledge Fantasy uh, Dynasty Football Podcast. Him and a friend of his, Alex Braun, they thought of it together. They approached me about it. I was 100% on board. Um, if you guys have heard, seen me on Twitter, I've talked about the Conscious Kid, one of those charities that really means a lot to me. So if you guys, if everybody out there listening, if you could just take the time to just, even if, even if I understand you might be maxed out on leagues or, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you um, aren't sure if you want to get into a large field fantasy tournament, but you just want to donate or you just want to spread the word or you want to tell family and friends about the tournament, please 
we genuinely would appreciate it and if you do decide to donate and you don't want to enter the tournament still send a screenshot over and just let us know that you don't want to enter the tournament just because we do want to keep track of all the money that that we're helping to raise here for fantasy for unity so you know join us it's the first year of the unity bowl definitely want to try to be crown champion definitely going to want to try to beat me right and and all the other analysts that we're getting in here people throughout the community that we're going to get to join this so we really hope that you can check it out we really hope that you can be a part of it and um yeah if you have any questions dm me dm the account like i said um you know hit me up if you have my phone number whatever it may be just hit us up however it is you know how to reach us and we'll definitely be more than happy to help but Back to your regularly scheduled programming. We are covering the NFC West today. Like I said, next week is the last and final installment of this divisional breakdown with the AFC West. And so again, it's going to be phenomenal and hope you genuinely appreciate it. But until then, I'll catch y'all next week. And we are out of here. Three, two, one. All right, my next guest is a writer for the Rotoviz. He's also a writer for Four for Four, um, who we often often reference on this podcast. He is a guy I'm, I've become a huge fan of, um, just watching his work in the community, reading his work, seeing him on other shows. Uh, so I was excited to get him on, and he's actually filling in right now. So this was, you know, it was almost like a blessing in disguise to get him on here. Amar Gaber, what's up, man? Good to have you on, brother. What's up, John? How you doing? I'm so honored to be on, man. Really, my pleasure. Nah, man. Like I said, brother, I've been a huge fan of yours. So to get you on, man, was was awesome, brother. So um, we're talking about the Seattle Seahawks. We're continuing this divisional breakdown. Just finished up with the AFC South. So definitely want to check that out. And we're also on YouTube now. So definitely want to check that out. If you haven't, subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the pods. But um, the Seattle Seahawks, 12 and 4 in 2020. Hashtag let Russ cook was trending for like six weeks on social media, NFL, Twitter. Seahawks would start five and zero, ultimately finishing twelve and four before losing to the LA Rams in the wild card round by a score of uh, twelve to five. Looks like a more like a record that you would see in seventeen game schedule. But uh, Brian Schottenheimer would be relieved of his duties. We dealt with some uh, Russell Wilson trade rumors that ultimately were proven to just be rumors. Uh, so now we enter 2021. How do you think, you know, we're P, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, what is the outlook for them as we head into 2021, Amar? Um, so I, you, so when I first, when I first started doing projections and kind of like looking at the Seattle Seahawks, I was kind of, I was kind of off of them because I was like, they're going to, like, Pete Carroll literally relieved Daryl Bevel of his, du- I mean, Brian Schirmer of his duties because he literally wouldn't run the ball. So like that was, that was like the first pin drop. And I was like, Okay, so Pete Carroll's like really pissed off. Like he doesn't want people. He doesn't want to pass the ball. He doesn't want. He doesn't want to let Russ cook. So essentially, he's gonna di- divert back to his old ways. Like just run the ball, be like a 60 percent running team, forty percent passing team. Russell's gonna be super efficient. Like same old drum. I mean, same old um template that we've had since Russell Wilson was a quarterback for CX since twenty twelve. But I kept reading about Shane Waldron and kind of di- uh, doing a dive deep into who he is, like who, who what the coach is, like what he brings to the table. And over his last four years in Los Angeles, the Rams ranked top 10 in passing yards three times, top 10 in rushing yards three times, 
and um, they were essentially well, they were really consistent across the board. Um, and that's what the Seahawks really wanted. Is like they want to be they were they want to be really balanced. Was essentially is what Pete Carroll wants. He wants a balanced team. He doesn't want a team that's going to be rushing way more than passing. A team that's going to be passing way more than rushing. Like he just wants to essentially be. Let me run the ball 15 times. I'm going to pass the ball 15 times. I mean, they're, they're not not that exact number, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and basically, so I was like, okay, like I'm not I'm off, I'm off them. But then I kept reading athletic articles about Shane Waldron and like what he does. And the one thing that he's really big on is creativity. Like he wants to understand how to get his players in space so he can open up so like he can like they can get yards after catch. Um, they can they can do essentially what their personnel is. And one of my favorite things about a coach is like I want him to to adhere to the team. I don't want the team to adhere to him essentially. So the fact that like he's coming in and being like, yo, DK, what are you good at? Let's do that. Okay, Russell Wilson, what are you good at? Let's do that. It's not like yo guys, I'm coming in. Uh, Pete Carroll hired me to run the ball 500 times. We're gonna run the ball 500 times, and that's the end of the season. Like, let's have, let's go out there to do Pete Carroll's vision. He's like, essentially, but Pete Carroll, we can run the ball 100 times. I don't really care. I don't care how many times we run the ball, but when we pass the ball, essentially we're gonna be creative. We're gonna do shot plays, play action, rollouts, bootleg, all that kind of stuff. And that really got me intrigued because the whole point of, of a good offensive fantasy football is if they're creative. You don't want them to be essentially run the ball on first down, run the ball on second down, pass, punt, run the ball, run the ball, pass, punt. Like you don't want that because, like, essentially your drives won't be consistent. You won't get a lot of pass plays. You won't get a lot of volume. And essentially, fantasy football is all about volume, whether it be a QB position, whether it be running back, whether it be a wide receiver, whether it be tight end. Because at the end of the day, we have a very limited uh, market share of players that are, are actually efficient. Like the Tyree Kills, Patrick Mahomes, the Travis Kelseys, teams that are on good offenses. I would say there's about like six good offenses out of 32 teams, and that's not even 10% of the league. So like, if you're drafting and you're and you're only getting like you're not going to be able to stack all those six teams because those ADPs are super high. So you got you got to play with it. You got to be you got to be smart. You got to be creative essentially, and how you like stack your teams, how you build your teams from drafts. So essentially, all in all, to bring this full circle essentially is. I become more bullish on the Seahawks as the season goes on because I think essentially Saint Waldron will come in and be creative and not try to essentially be like, you know, Russell Wilson, you're going to save us every single drive. Let's keep doing that. Let me just like, that's not what we want as fantasy footballers. We want creativity. We want, we want, we want lots of pass plays. We want, we want that to be out there. Yeah. I think it's very interesting what you, you know, what you talked about with Pete Carroll because firing Brian Schottenheimer, because I had the same thoughts is that, uh-oh, Pete Carroll's mad because they didn't run the ball enough, right? So, but like you said, it's going to come down to Shane Waldron and not, I trust that he has creativity, but is Pete Carroll going to let him have the control? And I think that's the one thing we always have to fear is that Pete Carroll could just always be, you know, that guy lurking over his shoulder, like, hey, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> are we going to run the ball here? <laughs> we're going to run the ball. So, <laughs> you know, I just... It's it's just uh, it's it's one of those things that I I have worries about because Daryl Bevel right you you slipped up with, with earlier but yeah, he yeah, was the bad. former no you're good he was yeah. the former coordinator it was almost like an alley oop former coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks and I did not like Daryl Bevel when he was in Seattle because I was like yo this guy just runs the ball way too much like but it's actually Pete Carroll and then you you see him go to Detroit he he runs the ball over there too but he's got Matt Patricia. And then we see Matt Patricia get fired, and then what? What is it? What does Detroit do? Now they start throwing the ball. And so I think Daryl, I think it's really the influence of the head coach, and you know, hopefully Shane Waldron has that control. 
but we'll see because it's going to come down to it's going to affect obviously how we value this next guy in in Russell Wilson at the quarterback position was the uh, you know basically had the best season of his career. It was a career high in in pass attempts, 558, which he completed for 68.8 percent of his passes, 4,012, 4,000. Uh, one, two, 1,200 yards, 4,200 passing yards, a career, and look at me slipping up, career high 40 passing touchdowns, 13 interceptions, also added 500 rushing yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Overall, he was the QB six in total fantasy points, averaging 22 and a half points per game, was on a run in the first half of the, of the year, but cooled off as the year progressed. Maybe Pete, Pete Carroll had something to do with that. Going off the board is the QB seven right now. Uh, are you into Mr. Unlimited? <laughs> yo like russell wilson he's a very good quarterback no matter like how many like russell wilson he is a good quarterback look no matter how many times i make fun of him no matter times like he's got the memes going out there like no matter what the man does perform and like you can't hate on him um but the, but the thing was with russell wilson is he's got the same mo every single year he goes super hot for eight weeks and he goes super cold for eight weeks He's like QB one for eight weeks, and he's like QB forty five for eight weeks. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, yo, just give me consistency, homie. Like, you can either are you the lead of the lead or are you the bottom of the bottom. Like, I don't know which one you are. Um, but essentially, what, what I'm gonna do with Russell Wilson is like, if I'm believing in Shane Waldron and his creativity, and Russell Wilson has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks since he came into the league in 2012. I think he is second behind since Patrick Mahomes came to the league. I think Russell Wilson is the second most efficient quarterback behind. Patrick Mahomes, and like like if Russell Wilson had Andy Reid, essentially people would be like they would be running over their feet to go get drafts. Russell Wilson first overall, just like Patrick Mahomes is, even though I think Patrick Mahomes is more talented. But let's not get into that segment. Um, but Russell Wilson essentially like he he should be getting love that he is getting in these best ball streets. He should be getting love that like he is getting. It's essentially we're just we're afraid of we're afraid afraid of Pete Carroll and that price is already baked in because if we didn't have Pete Carroll there. I mean, I would be going as QB two or three right now, which I think Lamar Jackson and um, Justin Herbert have those ADPs right now. But like, imagine if you took it's it's essentially if you put Russell Wilson in the Greg Roman offense and you had Lamar Jackson, he would literally be doing the same exact stuff, and he doesn't have the ADP of QB one, two, or three. He has QB, I think ADP of seven, eight is what you said earlier. Yeah, he's QB seven. Uh, Josh um, Allen is the QB two. Kyler Murray is the QB three. This is according to four for four's multi-site ADP. And Lamar Jackson is a QB4. Yeah, so, like, Russell Wilson gives you the best of essentially both worlds of Lamar Jackson and, and Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. He, he's able to throw. He's super efficient with those shot plays. Like, we saw last year against the Patriots where he had that D, when DK Metcalf was coming out, essentially, with that big big boss game. And Russell Wilson, I think he threw, like, 400 yards, four touchdowns, just absolutely killed the Patriots' defense. And we all thought the Patriots was in the lead defense. So, Russell Wilson has the tools. It just – Literally, Pete Carroll. It's like if, it, if Pete Carroll runs about 30 times a game and Russell Wilson can only pass 15 times, that's going to do nothing for you as a fantasy football analyst. I mean, fantasy football player, like if you drafted him, you don't want to see him throw the ball only 15 times because he has to be a fit. He literally has to be like 15 to 15 with 400 yards and four touchdowns for him to, to make up his ADP. So, literally, so his ADP right now, I'm, I'm buying because it's QB7. Most of his cost is baked in, most of his risk is already baked in. He's closer to QB10. In the, in the drafts, then he is QB2, and I'll take that value all day. Yeah, I think that's that's good value. I mean, I find myself – I don't know. It's tough, right? Because like you said, with, with 
earlier, we look for volume, right? And it's tough because you don't get it. But last year we were getting it, and that's what and that's when we saw, you know, a lot of not just the the big plays, but the the you know the big passing touchdown days, right? And I think Russell Wilson, like you said, has that capability to not just be the passer, but also get it done with his legs, 500 yards rushing last year. So I don't. It's not that I think Russell Wilson's bad, right? Like I agree with everything that you said. Him and with Andy Reid and and would be phenomenal. I've said that before myself as well. Like I just want guys that are going to get volume. Like Tannehill at eleven or Russell Wilson at seven. And I know it's crazy to say that, but like, is that which one would you rather pull the trigger on at those prices? Wait, say the second one again. Tannehill at eleven. Yo, I am. I don't know why everyone's in on Tannehill. I don't understand. Like Tannehill, Tannehill's gonna crush. Like we're like we're okay with that. But QB eleven is literally he has to smash again this year. Like with, I don't think I think uh, I think he's had four hundred pass attempts the last two seasons. But he's been super efficient. Like like his touchdown rate has been as astronomical. His uh, completion percentage astronomical. Like all his numbers are super inflated. But it's like. Can you have another decent, another top 10 QB season with another volume of just 400 pass attempts? Because the rest of the QBs are, are QB one, two, or three. They all got 500, 550 pass attempts or more. So he's going to have to shoot 100 pass attempts. Derek Henry either has to fall off a cliff or on 10 Hill to meet that ADP. Or, like, I don't, I just don't think, like, I think that, um, I think Arthur Smith's gone now too. The offensive coordinator is with the Falcons now, who essentially came in and, and helped Ryan Tannehill be super mm-hmm. efficient. So maybe other Smith is the engine that made that that offense go, because now it's going to be all um what's his name Mike uh Mike Brable and um, Todd uh, Downing. Yeah, yeah, those are those are the new um offense that, that's new offense coming in town. So essentially, it's all going to be on their back to make sure Ryan Tannehill comes again. I think all in all is what I'm saying. I think Russell Wilson will be the better value play there. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I the reason I asked is because I have them back to back in my rankings. I got Russell Wilson at eight. Uh, Ryan Tannehill at nine. Not, I shouldn't say rankings. I, I'm, I've got to switch that up. It's my actual, it's my projections, but because um, I'm not taking Tom Brady at six. But um, all right, Amar, let's move on to the running back position because if it doesn't go the Russell w- Wilson route, right, then it's got to go the Chris Carson route in terms of, you know, this volume and 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 these this production. So he, Chris Carson dealt with some injuries last year. You know, he usually does, but played in only 12 games, rushed 141 times for 681 yards, go along with five touchdowns, also had 46 pass targets, 37 receptions, 287 yards and four touchdowns, was the RB 13 in in PPR points per game at 15.7, perennially undervalued, I think, in fantasy drafts, going off the board here is the RB 19, Amar, how are we feeling here about the price on Chris Carson? Man, on Chris Carson, I just I don't the only the only thing that I don't understand about Chris Carson love is um he does he he's he's essentially ties Russell Wilson. So however Russell Wilson like Russell Wilson is super efficient. Chris Carson um gets the gets the plays because he gets those like little short touchdown catches. He gets the rushing attempts. He gets all that. But year over year, the man doesn't finish the season. He's undrafted. He's he, he's an undrafted running back. I think he literally is undrafted running back. Year over year, they bring in DJ Dallas. They bring in Homer Simpson. Like, they're always bringing in running backs over and over and over. Like, they're never content with Chris Carson. So, like, as Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, as, like, those, like, two 
two they, those are two stables I've always been there since Chris Carson came, and they keep they bring they keep bringing in running backs like they just after Chris Carson had a baller season like in I think twenty seventeen they addressed a shot penny with the first round in twenty eighteen it's like why I don't like we don't understand and then the next year they come back and they they draft DJ Dallas in the third round and then next year they come back and they draft Travis Homer in the fourth round and it's like if they truly were committed to Chris Carson as a running back, he has like top, he has a running back one season, like upside, like he's a top 12 running back, but I just don't know how much they commit to him. Essentially. Like his range of outcomes is RB one to RB three, essentially. And I just don't know. I don't know how to play him, but if he, but if he, if he lasts like the fifth, sixth round and drafts, like I'm taking him, but it's like, he's, he's essentially like the dollar version of Derrick Henry. And it's like Derrick Henry gave us almost 2000 yards last year. He was only running back three, and Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook didn't do. They didn't do as much as as Derrick Henry did on the ground. It was more pass catching, and Derrick Henry still wasn't able to beat them. So like, if Chris Carson's only value is going to come on the on the on the ground essentially, how much of that can you actually depend on year week in week out? Yeah, I mean Chris Carson going off the board in the fourth round of twelve team leagues. So I think that's usually where. He goes almost every year, it seems. I mean, I think that's pretty good value. Uh, I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, he doesn't he doesn't finish the year. Uh, Seattle has, you know, tra- tried to replace him. Uh, you did say Homer Simpson, though. That's why. I meant Travis Homer. <laughs> I, I knew what you meant, but I was like, <laughs> hilarious. But, um, no, I, I mean, I've been a huge fan of Chris Carson, so I, – I mean, I've been plugging away at that at that price, especially in like dynasty startups. I've been finding myself grabbing him late if I'm, you know, you know, I don't want to say zero RB, but, you know, you know, super flex. If I'm getting my quarterbacks and then running backs are flying off the board, I'm going to try to get a, a nice receiver first, nice young receivers. Uh, so I find myself getting a guy like Chris Carson. But I definitely hear what you're saying. I mean, do you think any of these other backs have an opportunity to challenge Chris Carson for any work? I don't like. I don't think so. But like the the reason the the reason. Okay, so when I when I draft, essentially, I'm just like I literally just shoot for the moon. Like I don't care about floor. I don't care about anything else. Like I'm just shooting because like the only way to win these leagues and, and win these tournaments or anything like that is to essentially like go for like go big or go home essentially. And Chris Carson and Russell Wilson are essentially always going to be floor plays. Until like Pete Carroll changes his mindset, until Chris Carson gets more pass catching work, until like things different, because like Chris Carson is a gr- he essentially right now he's going to dress as an RB one in a, in, a, in a running back two's body. Like people don't understand, it's like he's gonna give you he's he's gonna give you amazing floor plays. Like he's gonna give you like ten, he's gonna give you like nine to what twelve points a game and have like half PPR. But it's like how much is that actually adding value to your fantasy football team if you take him in the third fourth round? That's fair. That's fair. I, you know, I, I think that's definitely fair. I mean, especially if you're looking at these best ball tournaments, right, these larger field tournaments, that is a floor play. Um, all right, man, let's move on to these wide receivers. Um, you know, it gets a little bit more exciting when you start talking about the wide receiver position and, and what it could potentially be, especially if that volume goes up. But we saw tremendous production from the wide, re- wide receiver position in Seattle in 2020. Metcalf and Lockett, uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, both experienced outstanding seasons Metcalf was the wide receiver 10 in in uh on the year in PPR points per game 17 PPR points after a really good uh second year where he saw 129 targets 83 receptions 
1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. It was just a beast of a year for what was really just a dominant force in the NFL. Uh, Tyler Lockett led the team in targets with 132, turned that into 100 catches for uh, just over 1,000 yards, uh, 1,050 yards, uh, had 10 touchdowns as well. Targets and catches were career high for Tyler Lockett entering his seventh season. The three yards, the, the yards, sorry, the yards are th- three shy of his career high. Uh, the touchdowns match his career high. Lockett did have some inconsistency issues last year. Uh, managers didn't really enjoy that. Uh, had a, In a 16-game season, had 265.4 PPR points. Three weeks, that would be Dallas in week three, Arizona in week seven, San Francisco in week 17. Those three weeks make up for 46% of his fantasy production in 2020, just an absurd chunk of fantasy points for just three games. Metcalf going off the board is the wide receiver eight. Tyler Lockett going off the board is the wide receiver 21. How do you value these guys? So I was, I was essentially getting down on, on Chris Carson on the floor play. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are upside plays essentially. Like Tyler Lockett. Yeah. He had a big chunk of his games, big chunk of uh, his uh, weeks in those like three games. But those are like 200-yard games. Like we don't like Julio. Julio's the last man that gave us a 200-yard game, and that was like I think 2018. Like 200-yard games are hard to come by, and Tyler Lockett gave us I think two 200-yard games with three touchdowns each. Like that 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 wins you weeks right there. That's like literally winning you weeks. And like another thing that I found interesting with DK Metcalf is where for some reason I don't know why people are down DK Metcalf. I think it's I think it's the second half split, but. In um in his splits from from the first eight, for the first eight weeks, um first eight weeks of the season he gave a thousand thirty yards and his uh like on his pace, but the second half of the season I mean the first half of the season sorry 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 let me retrace, first half of the season if he would have kept his pace up he would almost gave us sixteen hundred yards sixteen touchdowns eight six receptions and three hundred forty points which is twenty one point two three points per game which I think only had two or three last year had that Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson. But in the second half of the season, he gave us 12 points per game, 80 receptions, four touchdowns. So basically, it's the touchdowns that basically dro- that drove DK Metcalf's second half season down. And then he also he still had 136 targets pace in the first half, 122 target pace in the second half. So targets aren't that much off. And then he had 1,030 yards in the second half. Brazil would have been on pace with 1,600 yards in the first half. So the main like Tyler and uh, DK Metcalf blow both. Uh, suffered at the hands of the Russell Wilson not cooking um, syndrome in the, in the second half of the season. But basically those players still gave us, we're both looking at each 900 yards and 1,000 yards, second half pace, which you really can't hate on. But it's just like, it's those ADPs that are like, you know, if they gave us, if they gave, essentially if they gave us a median of both of those seasons, the first half, second half, it would be worth that value. It's just like, we don't know if it's going to happen. But I'm all in on their values. I'm all in. Yeah, I think definitely – Definitely, if I'm in if I'm in best ball, I'm pulling the trigger on Tyler Lockett because there's no there's I don't have to guess. I mean, I had Tyler Lockett last year, and you're right, he won me weeks. I mean, I probably wouldn't be in the finals in that league if I did not have Tyler Lockett because you know that 200 yard you know the 100 yard three touchdown game, the 200 yard three touchdown game, those literally put me over the top to 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 win to win some weeks, you know. So definitely agree with you on from that standpoint. I guess the question I'm having. Right. Because, I, you, you know, you brought up the point about DK Metcalf, you know, and why he, you know, people might be sleeping on him. I think going 
off the, the board where he is going, uh, wide receiver, what I say, eight. Did I say eight? Yeah, I think it's eight. Oh, he's – no, sorry. He's going off the board, wide receiver, six. So you look at the guys he's going around, like Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Calvin Ridley. All those guys are going to see 150-plus tar- – or 100 uh, – Ty- Tyreek Hill might see like 140, but all these guys might see like 150, 160 targets. And I think that's why – you know, DK Metcalf, when you put him up against those guys, you know, he looks a little bit better up against like an AJ Brown or a Justin Jefferson, um, you know, guys that, you know, have some, some more tar- target competition and teams don't really have a ton of volume either. So DK Metcalf, the physical specimen that he is, the question I have is, is he going to take that step to where he is a 30% target share guy and DK and Tyler Lockett starts to take a, 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 a deeper step back? Yeah, and what's interesting is Tyler Lockett's also things in be 29, and usually um, speedsters or or wide receivers that essentially depend on their speed to um get open. I mean, Tyler Lockett, he's a very, very good route runner. Like, don't get me wrong, but he is 29. Past few seasons, I think he's been broke. He's he's broken down at the end of the season. If like if DK Metcalf can command more of the target share, that upside is just is just brewing. Like that man's gonna take off, but like. If it's back to the same old, like let's give 25%, 25%, and then the rest we can just feed off the pies, then I don't think they'll take that next step that everyone's just hoping they'll take. Yeah, I think that's that's the huge one right there, right? Because if DK Metcalf on if DK Metcalf can could get to 28%, 30%, then it, it becomes more valuable, even though it's not in this large because the pie doesn't have to be that big because he, he, the the chunks are guaranteed with the efficiency from Russell Wilson that if he's getting 28, 30% target share, it just looks like a better season for, <laughs> for DK Metcalf. We're talking maybe 1,600, 1,700 yards for DK Metcalf. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited for what it potentially could be. And I'm excited, like you said, to, to bet on that ceiling with DK Metcalf because he definitely has it. And yeah, if there was does. a, if there was a guy to bet on, it's probably him. Right. So, Let's talk about the tight end position because I don't think there's much way by the way of pass catcher. I mean, they did draft Wayne Eskridge, but I don't think there's an expectation that he'll make a an impact, even though he's a second round pick. Um, but Gerald Everett makes the cross divisional switch from the Rams to the Seattle Seahawks. Wilson, Russell Wilson, that is, has utilized the tight end in his career. And so Shane Waldron coming over from or so between Shane Waldron coming over from from the Rams to call offensive plays. Greg Olson and Jacob Hollister leaving behind a combined uh, 77 tight end targets and Everett's potential, uh, you know, the potential that he has. Fantasy managers wonder if this could be a change where, you know, a situation where a change of scenery scenery leads to a breakout. He's going off the board as a tight end 23. Uh, Are you buying into the breakout buzz from the fifth year tight end? Yo, I I do want to backtrack real quick. I'm about to doing ask you thing. He does have second-round draft capital from last year. He did play a lot last year. If, to, if we're banking on Tyler Lockett fading away, and Dwayne Eskridge is a great late-round late dart throw at the end of your draft, because if we expect Shane Rodgers to be creative, we expect Russell Wilson to pass more, that pie's going to got to come from somewhere. And it's not going to come from – because I don't, I don't think I don't think Russell – Russell Wilson doesn't really target his tight ends unless unless it's at the red zone when I was looking at his stats. Um so if Dwayne Eskridge can be something, like I know, I know he's old, I know he's small, yeah, yada yada yada. But he's got this, he's got the capital. Um, 
He's got a he's got a very good he's got an elite quarterback, which we want. Like m- most of it, most most of your QB, most of your fancy stuff is driven by the QB and driven by the team. So all in all, is what I'm saying is doing that scourge is a good late round throw, um, late round dart throw. Um, but back to your tight ends, um, Joe Everett, I like because I think I think it's I think Jerry Everett is only the competition, the only the only tight end there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think there's oh, it's Will Disley's there as well. Yeah, Will Disley's there, there. But he's he's dealt with injuries the last couple of years, but uh, him and Russell Wilson still have that relationship. They were working out together recently. So like the the reason why everyone's super high on Shane um on Joe Everett, essentially he came from the Rams with Shane Waldron. They both know each other. They they know they've worked together before, um, but like with tight ends, essentially all tight ends essentially is Waller, Kelsey, and Kittle, and then you can just shoot forever you want. Cause like it's not like you know it's not like you're gonna draft a tight end in the fifteenth round and he's gonna end up a tight end too. Like we haven't seen that. Like it's all like literally it's if you draft at the top they're gonna finish at the top, and if you draft to the bottom they're most likely gonna finish at the bottom. Like. Jared, I think is, this is his seventh year in the NFL. Like he's not fifth. Um, it's not like he's gonna come back and give and give us like a, a superstar a tight end or like give you immense value on his draft position. So essentially, what you're banking on is the Seahawks passing more and more red zone opportunities. Jared will probably get Jared essentially will give us like the Austin Hooper, um, Atlanta Falcon season. He was a Falcon, right? If I'm wrong. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> so uh, he gives us Austin Hooper Falcon season before he went to the, over to the Browns. So, like, I'm not I'm not big on Shia Jabra, but I, I do like um, the late round of Arthur on Jabra. Yeah, I'm curious to see if, you know, there's difference in, I don't know, he has like a 62% career catch rate as a tight end, which is pretty bad. Um, you know, yards per reception at 11, which is average. Uh not sure what his ADOT is. I don't have it necessarily in front of me. Um, yeah, it's just like a six, eight yard average of like eight ADOT. That's average. That's average for tight end. So I don't, he just hasn't played all that well. And so it's to think like after five years that he's just going to take this leap, like you were saying, you know, you're taking, you're betting on Shane Waldron, you're betting on Russell Wilson. Um, and this is a guy in, Gerald Everett, who has some, I mean, there's a reason why he was a second round pick, right? There was a reason why Gerald, why Sean McVay liked Gerald Everett. He's an athlete. He, you know, I think he compared him to Jordan Reed when he drafted him. Um, So, you know, there's this, there's a reason why it just hasn't, we just haven't seen it from Gerald Everett. Yeah. And I don't think he's ever gone over 600 yards in the season. No, he's, his career best was last year at 417. Yeah. which I mean, like say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like if players if if fancy drafters think he's going from 417 to like 700 800 that's just a leap that like that means you're gonna take away from dk metcalf it means you're gonna take away from Tyler Lockett. I, don't, I, I just don't see a playing out like that yeah I'm, I'm i feel the same way man i feel i definitely feel the same way um all right amar i don't have any more questions for you. I got one last question for you, though, as it, as it pertains to the Seahawks as a whole. How do we see them finishing in this division, and how do we see this division kind of breaking down? I'm really in on I'm really in on the NFC West division, like really in, because like the Rams are gonna be really good, the Panthers are gonna be really good, the Seahawks are gonna be really good. I don't even know who the other team is. The Cardinals. Oh, yeah, the Card. Yeah, it's gonna be a stack division. From top to bottom, stack division, and it's like 
every game's gonna be a shootout essentially. There's no there's no good defenses there. I've, I mean the Niners the Niners lost Robert Sala, and he's he was a really good in game adjuster. So I don't know how the new coach is gonna do. Forty Niners are looking to pass more essentially this year because they're they address a Trey Sermon I think in the third round, Elijah Mitchell in the sixth. But those are rookies. You can't really bank on rookies mm-hmm. as um running backs. So you even saw Jonathan Taylor last year. It took him all the way until week eleven to get going, and he his profile blows Sermon and Elijah Mitchell out of the water. Um, so you really can't bank on that. So I think all in all is what I'm saying is like that division is going to be a shootout division. There's going to be a lot of shootouts. Those teams are going to be really good. I don't know. The NFC, I think NFC West is definitely the best division in football right now. Bro, I totally agree with you. I mean, between the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Niners, the fir- the fir- when I first did my projections, I was like, that's like three potential 10, 11-win teams right there in one division between those three teams. And then you throw the, the Cardinals into the mix. I mean, I was getting into a conversation on Twitter last night with uh, Steffi Small. She had posted a thing asking about the Seahawks versus the Cardinals and, you know, who would have the, the I guess, more disappointing season. Uh, and so, you know, I, I was on there saying, I think Cliff Kingsbury is fired by the end of this season, you know, probably maybe even during the season. I don't know. I just think that with Cliff, he just hasn't shown enough. Uh, as a as a play caller, uh, he's put Kyler in some tough spots. Haven't even, you know, we haven't really seen Kyler take that leap that you really want from. Kyler's doing everything just based off just athleticism, just God given ability, right? And and like imagine Kyler with like an, an Andy. I mean, obviously we would put Andy, everybody with Andy Reid, but like <laughs> you know, but imagine Ky, Kyler with like a, an actual you know good offensive play caller who's gonna put him in a position to succeed. I mean, I think we do see him put in some tough spots out in Arizona and you know, that defense is while they made some additions, I don't, I don't think that they're going to make, you know, they're going to really take the leap that they, they need, especially in that division with the quarterbacks and the play callers that are there. So, you know, I'm, I'm weary of Arizona, but you know, I think they'll definitely make it exciting because of uh, QB one out there. So, you know, we'll definitely see Amar, but Hey man, this was awesome, brother. This was great to sit, to get to sit down and talk ball with you, bro. Why don't you let everybody know what you're working on and, and where, where they can find you, man, and what you got cooking, bro? Uh, so basically my Twitter name is A-M-R-G-A-A-B-R. I think that's my name right now on the screen. Um, and you can follow me at 44football uh, and also at rotaviz.com. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, player profiles over 404. My lot of pro- player profiles over at rotaviz. I'm doing a DJ Moore for 404, uh, CD Lamb for rotaviz. Um, so super exciting. And I mean, it's like the, it's essentially the um, the last stretch for Fiends football before everything starts, so it should be getting exciting, and everyone should be getting back to the roots of drafting, and it should be fun. Yeah, so definitely make sure you check Amar out, man. Um, obviously, check out his phenomenal work, and we definitely appreciate you for coming on, brother. Uh, everybody, have a good one, and uh, we are out of here. Peace. See you guys. And my next guest, very good friend of mine, uh, also technically my boss over at Gridiron Ratings. Boss, <laughs> course, that's ta- talking, <laughs> talking about Jeff DiMatteo. Jeff, what is going on, man? Thank you for coming on. Man, thanks for having me, John. I'm thrilled to be here. Boss is a strong word. That's I don't think we could really go there. We, we do some work together at Gridiron Ratings. How's that sound? 
I mean, I don't know you the way you see Matthew tweeting these days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm his boss. I'm his boss. He he reports to he's a junior analyst. If you've seen any of our previous shows, that's he cannot be a senior analyst anymore. <laughs> yes, obviously talking about Jeff, uh, gridiron ratings. Like you've said, thank you for coming on. And the topic here today is your San Francisco 49ers. We have continued. We're continuing this divisional breakdown. We, we're covering the NFC West right now. And uh, 49ers in 2020 faced a down year uh, after being the NFC champions in 2019. They faced a ton of injuries, ended up finishing last in the NFC West with a 6-10 and 10 record. Ended up with the sixth overall pick, which they then traded to Miami for the third overall pick um, so that they could find their starting quarterback as Kyle Shan- head coach Kyle Shanahan put it in the end. Uh, they end up drafting North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. The Niners are a team loaded with talent. They just got hit by the injury bug real bad in 2020. Jeff, what are the feelings amongst the fan base as it pertains to the Niners in 2021? Well, I always try to divorce my fandom from my takes, uh, but I think the fan base is feeling pretty good. You know, we love Trey Lance. We love the idea that he's going to be like this. uh, And I say we, I use that pretty loosely. Um, Kind of like the second coming of Pat Mahomes is the way everyone seems to feel about it. Um, I don't know if I'm entirely in that camp yet. I want to see a preseason game before I get too excited. But, um, you know, getting everybody back is going to be making a whole new season. You know, getting Nick Bosa back is going to matter. Getting, you know, Eric Armstead back is going to matter. You know, we lose a little bit in the secondary, you know, we've got Fred Warner's an all world linebacker. So the defense is pretty stout. You know, the running backs are all back. The O-line is healthy. I mean, everything looks good. I feel like the arrows are pointing up in a lot of ways, but the division didn't get easier. Seattle improved their O-line, you know, Arizona's tough and you got the Rams adding a new quarterback. So, I mean, I think the, the fan base is excited. I think there's a lot of uh, optimism that we're going to get back to that Super Bowl caliber team we saw a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, there's definitely a handful of question marks. Yeah, sorry, I'm fidgeting with this headset over here. But, no, like you said, which, as it pertains to the Niners, definitely some uh, some question marks there. But definitely trust in Kyle Shanahan, right, what, what him and John Lynch have kind of built over the last few years, yeah, yes, Jeff for, uh, puts out a, a huge heart uh, over his chest. Uh, hand heart. Got the hand, hand heart out. Hand heart yeah. for the listeners that are listening on the podcast platforms and haven't migrated to YouTube yet. Um, but let's talk about the quarterback position because you talked about Trey Lance. You talked about Jimmy G or, um, you know, Trey Lance potentially becoming Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, you have your uh, – you have some feelings here because Jimmy G, he, you know, he was a starter for six games last year, dealt with an ankle injury, uh, just 33% of his games last year. Did he have more than 13 points, uh, 13.2 fantasy points? Wasn't a very good year, uh, but he was on a he was on a 16 game pace of just 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Was the quarterback 30 in terms of fantasy points per game? The Niners, as we talked about before, drafted Trey Lance with the third overall pick as we previously mentioned in in terms of adp uh jimmy g or i guess i didn't mention this but i'll mention it now jimmy g going off the board as the qb 35 according to 44.com's multi-site adp trey lance going off the board as the qb 20 jeff how do you approach this situation well if i'm in redraft we're talking 12 team redraft i'm avoiding it altogether 
because there's a very real possibility that Lance is getting overdrafted this season and he may not play at all. Jimmy G didn't get a great start last season. And I try not to be too much of an apologizer when it comes to Jimmy G, but for the most part, when he's played, he's been pretty good. You know, the three games last year, notwithstanding, you know, there was some up and down and truthfully, the 49ers, you know, Debo didn't play well last year, despite people really being in on him. You had Kittle was banged up. He was in and out of the lineup, even when uh, Jimmy G was playing. He was basically throwing it to guys like, you know, Kendrick Bourne and, you know, the, the dried up husk of Trent Taylor. You know, it gets pretty tough to be a good quarterback thrown to those guys. You know, the receiver group this year looks a lot stronger. Ayuk obviously showed up in the second half. Debo, we need to see a couple more strides from him in terms of route running in order for these quarterbacks to be viable. You know, Dynasty, you got to have Lance, but man, I don't know. I'm, I'm avoiding it in terms of redraft altogether because I don't know that I'm feeling what the, the market is feeling, that Lance is going to suddenly be a QB2 for fantasy in 2021. Yeah, I think if it's going to come down if Trey Lance gets on the field, and, and that's going to be the most important thing, right? Because like you said, Jimmy G has been – he's been okay when he's been in or, you know, when he's been healthy. I think that's the, the – you know, the, the problem is that he's not always healthy, does deal with some injuries right. – and I think that's the biggest concern there because whoever the quarterback is in this Niners offense, they're going to have success really because Kyle Shanahan's going to put them in, in a position to have success. Obviously, we've seen guys like Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard come in and struggle at times with you know decision-making and, and things like that. But uh, Jimmy G, a veteran, so he's going to run this offense the way Kyle wants it run. Again, just comes down to is he going to stay healthy? And I think – that alone, that risk right there, that probability there that Jimmy G could get hurt is just even in a one quarterback league. I mean, in Superflex, obviously, you're going to take Trey Lance um, because the upside is just too high to pass on. Sure. But in redraft, even, I think, like, you know, as a, a late round pick, you know, with the last pick of your draft, why not draft Trey Lance? I mean, he's going QB 20, so you're obviously not paying that price, but depending on what league you're in, maybe you guys don't know Trey Lance, the kid from North Dakota State in your casual fantasy league. And, hey, you know what? Like, I wouldn't mind getting, you know, both of these guys, Jimmy G and and, and uh, Trey Lance. Or I was going to say the, my initial thought was get a guy like Kirk Cousins, who I think is, like, super undervalued, and you could get him and a guy like Trey Lance and stick those two guys on your roster and, and kind of see what happens with Trey Lance. And if he, cause if he ever gets that job, the rushing upside alone with Trey Lance is it makes him, you know, a top of, of potential. I don't want to dub the kid a league winner, but just we've seen it before with rushing quarterbacks and their ability to carry your fantasy team, especially if you get them really, really late or really cheap as in like undrafted or off waivers. Well, yeah. And I agree with that in the sense that he has, tremendous upside my concern being a fan and having watched Kyle Shanahan and being a fan of his dad I was I lived in Colorado actually when he was with the Broncos and was winning Super Bowls there I'm showing my my age with my gray hair and all that here um this is going to be a situation where Jimmy G if he's winning ball games they're not going to pull him if they are you know let's just say we're at the midway point of the season here and we're you know looking at a team that's you know seven and two you know, or, or, you know, six and two or something like that, they're not going to suddenly pivot to Lance. Jimmy's going to have to struggle mightily. He's going to have to lose a few games. It's going to have to be apparent that he's not getting it done for us to make that change. So this could be a real situation where we look at, say, the Kansas City Chiefs a few years ago when they had Alex Smith came in 
The guy was crushing the world in fantasy even. And he was the number one in Kansas City. Mahomes was holding the clipboard. He didn't play until week 17. He came in. He had a a so-so game. Alex Smith was gone. And Mahomes took over the next year and the rest is history. That is, I think, what Kyle and the 49ers are looking to do this year. They'd like to hold Lance in reserve as best they can, drive up Jimmy G's value, and not punt him. They want to trade him. They want to follow that same Chiefs kind of design because they couldn't get what they wanted for him this year. If they could have, they might have had Deshaun Watson instead of Trey Lance. And so the the move right here is to, yeah, I mean, if you're in Dynasty or if you're in a keeper or if you want to grab him and, and speculate on him with your last pick, there's worse things you can do with Trey Lance. There's worse things you can do with your last pick, right? But I would go in with tempered expectations for playtime. When he gets in, I expect him to play well, but I don't know that I expect to see him a whole heck of a lot in 2021. I know it's a contrarian take, as it seems like everybody and their brother's like, we're going to see Lance right away. I'm like, not if not a 49ers are winning ballgames, you won't. So yeah, the, the pivot point there. Yeah, and I, I I think I could I can agree with that take, right? I mean, there's no reason to bench a healthy Jimmy G out of the gate. Like, like you said, he's either got to get injured or completely face plant. And I, I, I mean, the, I don't think he face plants, but the probability like we talked about of him getting injured, that's, I mean, up there with any player, but it just seems like Jimmy G struggles to stay healthy. Um, all right, let's move on to the running back position. And, you know, the run, Niners running game is one that fancy managers like to target because of the production running backs have, you know, have had in the Shanahan scheme Raheem Mostert, was the lead guy last year in terms of fantasy points per game, 12 and a half PPR points per game, finishing as the RB 27. Jeff Wilson was the RB 30, 11.9 uh, fantasy points per game. Actually led all Niners running backs in total fantasy points. Was uh, you know, but he's dealing with an injury right now and will miss the start of the year. And then enter third round pick Trey Sermon, uh, drafted out of Ohio State, was in line for a meaningful, you know, is in line for what seems to be a meaningful role, especially with Wilson expected to miss some significant time. In terms of ADP, Mostert is the RB28, Jeff Wilson, obviously the RB62, and uh, Trey Sermon, the RB32. So you got Mostert and, and Sermon about four spots apart. Uh, how are you approaching the Niners backfield, Jeff? Well, the 49ers backfield is going to be a little bit of a, I don't want to say a dumpster fire, but we're going to have two viable players out of there. But it's going to be tough because you're not going to get an RB1. You might not get an RB2. It might be two RB3s this year. Uh, Jeff Wilson's actually injured. He'll be down for, I believe, the first six weeks at a minimum. Um, he, I believe he tore his MCL getting out of a chair after working out. And it was a really weird series of events, but he's down and out. So we're not going to see him. He'll probably start the season on Pup or something like that, pushing him out to at least midseason. Uh, Mostert's going to get the lead dog carries, but it sounds to me, and we haven't seen them because they're not in official camp yet, but it seems to me like Sermon's going to make, make it tough for them to keep him in that role all year. So these guys might be in that kind of one, a one B kind of a situation where we can't count on one guy, say getting the catches and another guy getting goal line. They might both just be getting all of it. Um, the guys I might be looking out for just because by the time, you know, August 15 rolls around and a lot of those office drafts and family drafts are happening. Those guys, their ADP, I think, is going to spike a little bit more. We're going to hear more and more about the Niners run game, and Mostert will be a fourth rounder. Sermon will be a third rounder. People are going to be going crazy over running backs. You know, I might go and pop for Wayne Gallman at the end of the draft because he'll be the guy that comes off the bench if anything happens to either of those guys. Sermon's had two LCL injuries. He's had a broken back. He's had um, 
a collarbone injury. Like this guy's had a litany of injuries going back to high school. So it's not like he's completely healthy and Mostert's been nicked up most of his time in the NFL. And he's, you know, he's already 29. So it's not like he's a spring chicken. So there's a very real possibility that we get a steady dose of Wayne Gallman at some point this year. And they drafted Eli Mitchell or Elijah Mitchell in the, the sixth round. And don't forget about Jermichael Hasty, who was picked last year. Any one of those guys can run this zone scheme. So whoever the 49ers plug in is going to be viable. The trouble is you might be looking for that guy week to week, and you might be finding him on your waiver wire in week four, five, six. So those are just some names to keep an eye on, Gallman, Mitchell, and Hasty. Yeah, no, I definitely like, uh, you know, Wayne Gallman's a guy that he was called a Mr. Necessary here at the Fantasy Football Diagnostics podcast uh, <laughs> during the uh, November, December months because he was he was not perfect, but he was definitely necessary in the economy that we were living in where he, it was hard yeah. to find an RB2. But Trey Sermon, I mean, like you said, I think he's going to see some significant work out the gate. Uh, I almost like this Niners running game better if Jimmy G's the guy, uh, because when you tr- throw Trey Lance into the mix, like you talked about good luck trying to figure out week to week, like it's going to be almost impossible to figure out who the Niners running, like what Niners running backs are going to do if Trey Lance is in the mix. Cause Trey Lance is stealing rush attempts. He's stealing rushing touchdowns. He's stealing targets from the running backs. Like, <laughs> You know, I mean, obviously, I say that to say, you know, obviously, uh, rushing quarterbacks are statistically shown to to uh, have a lower target share to their running backs. So, uh, you know, it makes sense when you're like, why would I dump it off to this running back for who's three yards away from me or two yards away from me when I could just take off and get that three yards myself? Right. So, uh, you know, Trey Lance would definitely make the Niners running back situation a little bit un definitely unpredictable murkier murkier to say the <laughs> least yeah for sure um but i like your point about these other guys because if elijah mitchell i mean if anybody goes down elijah mitchell which michael hasty was another guy that i was maybe too high on last year but you know if these guys if uh if something happens to the guys in front of them then they can end up with some opportunities but let's move on to the wide receiver position man because this is one where okay all right. You're all right. Okay. Yeah. Get, get a breath. little hot. Need a, uh, need a fan? You want me to, I mean, you want me to get you? I got, I got like a legal, oh gosh, I hit my camera. Here, let me get you a little fan, y'all. I know the folks on the, on the pod can't, they, only the video folks can see this right now. Yeah, because there you go. Cool y'all. I'm proud to bring up my guy, man, uh, Brandon Ayuk, uh, yeah. second year wide receiver, had a really, really good season. Some injuries, you know, for the 49ers that led to Ayuk leading the Niners in targets last year with 96 in just 12 games played, which he turned into 60 catches, 748 yards, five touchdowns, along with 77 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. 16-game pace was just three yards shy of 1,000 yards. Uh, you know, he was the wide receiver 18 in terms of PPR points per game at 15.4. Then there's Devo Samuel, on the other hand, dealt with some injuries before the season having a Jones fracture and then being banged up during the season finished as the wide receiver 46 in PPR points per game with 11 and a half was on a 16 game pace of 101 targets, 75 receptions for 894 yards and four total touchdowns in terms of ADP. Ayuk is the wide receiver 25 while Devo Samuel is the wide receiver 35. How are you attacking the wide receiver position for the 49ers? Jeff Debo is painfully overrated on, on the ADP. 
Um, people taking Debo are thinking they're getting a 1A, 1B situation. That's not going to be the case. This is going to be, it's still going to be George Kittle getting his numbers, and it's going to be the Ayuk show all day, every day. Um, if you go to Matt Harmon's reception perception and check out their success rate in every category, Ayuk crushes. He finishes in the top 15 percentile in every route, except for, I think, one. I think it's just the, the, the out routes. He just, for whatever reason, scores below average. But if you look at Debo, for example, on all the same routes, he's in the lower half of the league. He's just not winning in man. He's not winning in zone. He's not running crisp enough routes. He's not winning on any of the routes. So he's not getting himself open. And when you combine that with a guy who hasn't really stayed healthy, he runs a little too angry to be a wide receiver full time. <laughs> you know, he's a guy that uh, he takes more hits than he probably should. Hence his injuries last season. Um, he's going to be the distant third option when it comes to fantasy in this offense. Um, I'm actually dodging Debo right now, unless he falls super late to me, but ADP 35 is way too high. I just can't get behind it. Um, give me Ayuk all day though. Cause he's going to finish probably as a wide receiver too, when it's done this year. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I mean, I'm in total agreement with you on the Debo Samuel. I, I think if you, if you draft him, thinking he's going to be, like you said, the 1B in this offense. He's going to be the distant third. A lot of his production is going to come from the running game. I mean, not a lot of it, but a decent amount of it is going to come from the running game. And we know that for running backs, even, receptions are more valuable than carries. So it's definitely going to be the case when we're talking about a wide receiver in Debo Samuel. So give me Ayuk, who is going to have most of his production via the pass game, but can also as evidenced by the 77 rushing yards and two touchdowns last year, can do some of that stuff that Debo Samuel does in the pat in the in the running game, which I think some people downgrade Brandon Ayuk as well because of some of that. They saw him doing some of those things, and obviously at Arizona State he was a punt returner and all these things, and he so he gets he doesn't get enough respect for what he does as a receiver, and I think that's the key. I mean, I'm bullish on Ayuk. I mean, I was bullish on him last year. Uh, he was my wide receiver four in terms of rookies coming into last year behind, you know, Jefferson. Or, you know, well, Jefferson was three, Judy, and then I had CeeDee Lamb at one, but he was my four. And it was a unpop it was an unpopular take at the time, but I stuck to it. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that I'm I'm really into again in 2021, probably in a bigger way. Uh, I've got him inside my top 15 wide receivers, actually. Um, I'm not going to draft him there because I don't have to. But, you know, I, I'm I'm really bullish on Ayuk this year. There's a couple of things that need to be remembered when it comes to Ayuk and the running game specifically. Now, when he got his yards rushing, it wasn't with Jimmy G at quarterback. So there's a thing that you always say to me. What's that thing you say to me? So. Something else, something matters, and I can't. That word is. Sorry, just, I couldn't couldn't find my mute button. But context matters. There it is. Context matters. He's getting two rushing touchdowns and 77 yards rushing on a lot of gimmicky plays that were designed because the quarterbacks couldn't effectively target the receivers, and you had no Kittle relieving pressure because he was nicked up for a few weeks. And to be fair, Ayuk had the one really long touchdown run on. I think it was a Monday night football, maybe Sunday night football. It was a I think it was Sunday game. night football. Yeah. yeah, it was a it was a primetime game. I you remember watching it. Yeah, and so when you start seeing those monster plays take place, you have to remember the context in which they happened. You know, this is a spot where he's in that that kind of that X role, if you want to call it that. He's going to be the guy. He's going to get peppered with targets. You know, 
when Kyle Shanahan ended up in San Francisco, people wanted to identify that X because they remembered Julio Jones, Pierre Garcon, and, uh, you know, um, who Andre was in? Johnson. What's that? Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson. And uh, he had a guy in Cleveland, too, when he was there for a year. Josh Gordon. There he is. <laughs> so <laughs> I mainly just wanted to leave that out there because I was like, well, everyone's going to know who this guy is. <laughs> um with him being able to win on every route and against every variety of coverage, there's no reason why he won't see 120 targets. He still has a little bit of room for growth. There's still some things he has to learn, and he's got to stay on the field. We've got to get the quarterback situation settled. But we're going to be talking this time next year where he's going to be a low-end wide receiver one. The ADP is going to skyrocket. If you're trying to buy him in Dynasty, you're going to have to pay for him right now. And I can tell you, he's never going to be cheaper than he is right now. And that's really sad to say because you're going to have to give up a lot for him. I'm not selling yeah. Well, no, no, I wouldn't either. There's no way. But if somebody came at me, you know, crazy and wanted to offer me like four firsts, I'm, oh, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm listening, you know. I'm sorry, Brandon. I love you, but I'm yeah. four firsts. <laughs> no, I, I, I let's get crazy. I'm all about getting if crazy. My, if my league mates are listening, they they don't have IU because I have them. I'm drafting him pretty pretty much earlier than where all my dynasty league mates have been drafting him in startups. Because again, like I said, big time believer here. Another guy I am a believer in. George Kittle, tight end three last year in terms of fantasy points per game, 15.6 PPR points per game, dealt with some injuries throughout the year, only played in eight games, was still third on the team in targets with 63, turned that into 48 catches, 634 yards, two touchdowns, was on a 16-game pace of 126 targets for 96 receptions and almost 1,300 receiving yards and four touchdowns. Going off the board right now, Jeff, as the tight end three, how are we feeling about the price tag on Kittle? You know, I struggle a little bit with it. Now, he's going to get his numbers, right? He's, if anything's the one, or if anyone's the one A or one B in this offense, it's Kittle and Ayuk, right? We know they're going to get their touches. However, I don't know that I can get behind taking him in round three. You know, when we're looking at, you know, the tight end threes, you're talking Kelsey, Waller, Kittle all coming off in the first three rounds of a lot of drafts. I, I don't know if I can do it considering he can pretty consistently misses ball games. Uh, I might just roll the dice on somebody else like a Hawkinson or a Pitts or, you know, just see what else is out there and go ahead and take a more stable player in the third. There's a lot of upside to be had in place of George Kittle. Um, he's a yak monster. He's amazing. But we don't know what we're going to get out of Trey Lance if he ends up playing. We don't know, you know, is Jimmy just going to only have eyes for Ayuk? There's so many question marks. I love the guy. If he's on my roster, I'm not selling him. But I don't know that I'm buying Kittle at ADP right now. Yeah, I think I think those are fair points. I mean, I've been bullish on I'm kind of I'm just bullish on the Niners as a whole. Right. I think uh, ever since Kyle, you know, started. Well, he was he's been there for what five years now, and it's been really productive, especially these last two years, uh, you know, and they dealt with some bad luck along the way, even um leading up to the last two years but you look at Kittle and this offense I think you know the ceiling is really high but like you said is there a floor there with Kittle you know because he he does suffer from some injuries does deal with a lot of things and and misses some some time and so you have to wonder am I better off taking a guy like you know Darren Waller right you know tight end two he you know he makes a ton of sense because he doesn't, you know, he's he's still kind of young, relatively young in terms of mileage. Hasn't been playing the position all that long. Hasn't been 
um, you know, has obviously missed some games with some of the stuff that he's dealt with, but he's also doesn't play a physical brand like Kittle does. He's not taking as many hits, uh, more of like a possession receiver. Um, and then Kyle Pitts as well, you know, he's got, you're just taking the upside shot with him. If you're, you know, he's going off the board as tight end four. I mean, this is like the fifth segment that I brought up Kyle Pitts. So maybe I have a problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, this is a nice segue though, because I don't know if you saw, but I have both George Kittle and Kyle Pitts on my Scott Fishbowl team. <laughs> and I was, I was petitioning to Scott to allow me to change my team name to Kittles and Pitts. <laughs> but didn't nice. get approved but oh, that's, that's, uh, scott if you're listening come on man have some fun let's go it's uh i actually had last year i had kelsey who i took in the first round and i picked at seven i took kelsey and i got waller in like the third or fourth and <laughs> i was Doing backflips. I was so excited. I'm a little less excited this year. I've already sustained a, a pretty serious injury to my squad. And that's a little, little upsetting, but you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right, Jeff. We're heartbroken. We're heartbroken. I know, I know, I know I did it to you. I'm sorry. We're oh, look, oh, it, man. it's, it's such a bad deal, man. Can we just, can we just like have like a, like a moment yes. Yes. for my man cam? Cause I, yeah. I do, I feel terrible for the guy and I'm sorry. I couldn't go the show without mentioning it. But, you know, there's a lot being said right now. There's a lot going on right now. And to see him tear an Achilles in training is just one of the worst things I think I've heard of in training in terms of preseason and injuries. And there's a lot of them, right? Um, you know, and if you have them on your fantasy teams, you know, obviously I sympathize with you. But um, I just want to make sure everyone out there remembers and listens that no matter what you're doing to your fantasy teams, like this man's livelihood and career is on the line right now. And uh, these injuries are not as commonplace for running backs as an ACL. And uh, we're, we're seeing Marlon Mack make a recovery right now. And we hope to see him get back to full speed also. But um, there's not exactly a laundry list of running backs who make it all the way back right now. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention it throughout the course of the show here. Um, but in terms of Scott Fishbowl roster, I did draft him. So I was very high on him and I took him pretty early and uh, you know, my team will survive. We'll be okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, upset about it i'm mostly just kind of hoping the guy makes it all the way back and um you know some of the ridiculous things we've seen on twitter can kind of fall by the wayside and he can prove all the doubters wrong no absolutely i mean you know definitely going to have a conversation about uh cam Akers in the next segment when we talk about the rams but definitely hurting for him man i'm a huge fan of cam Akers. i didn't even really know much about cam Akers, but i saw this dude at the combine doing what they call now the Deuce Staley drill, and I was just like, I sweet feet. That's what I called him from that moment because the dude just had lightning quick feet, and, you know, he made an impact in year one. It's just a shame. But let's move on to the 49ers, and I have one, one more, one last question for you, Jeff, before I got to let you go, brother. All right. How is this division breaking down, and where are the Niners finishing in said division? Let's just say everybody stays healthy, right? All things are equal. Everybody stays healthy. Realistically, the 49ers are battling for the second or third spot in the division. Uh, there's a very real chance that uh, I think Seattle could actually win the division. They've got enough above average players at enough positions that I think they can outpace the Cardinals, the Rams, and the 49ers, say defensively. 
They've made some improvements on the O-line, which will help Carson and Russ and those guys. So Seattle should be at the top with the uh, the Niners and the Cardinals, I think, battling for the next two spots. The Rams, before the Acres injury, um, I felt like we're kind of in the basement. And that had nothing to do with Matt Stafford. I think we're all excited about Matt Stafford. But that defense, it's Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and a bunch of dudes you've never heard of. Um, they lost some really key players, and I think they're going to take a major hit from being the top unit they were last year. Yeah, that's that's um, definitely all fair points. I've got the Niners third, actually, as well. I, I do have the Seahawks battling it out with the Rams for that top spot. Uh, Pre-Acres injury, I did have the Rams in that top spot. Uh, but obviously, it was very close between them and, and Seattle. And with Russell Wilson in Seattle, you know, you never really want to count those guys out anyway. But this was a... Uh, a Rams team that finished second with Jared Goff at quarterback. So <laughs> makes you wonder, could they potentially get an upgrade? Well, you got to find out in the next segment when we talk about the LA Rams. Hey, that but, kid is what we call a segue. <laughs> but Jeff, man, this was awesome, brother. Why don't you tell everybody what it is we got cooking at over at, uh, over at Gridiron Ratings and uh, how they can find you, man. Well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at NFL underscore DiMatteo. That's D-I-M-A-T-T-E-O or at Gridiron Rating. Uh, GridironRatings.com is a relatively new site. John, we've been at it for, what, two years now? You're new-ish to the team. It's your first year on. Um, we just recently released our 2021 draft playbook. It's our big draft guide. It is over 500 players, nearly 300 pages. It is a digital Bible for your uh, fantasy drafts. We have projections and scoring built in for PPR, half point PPR, and standard. Written analysis on gobs of players. We did leave out kickers and team defenses. We went ahead and did IDP instead. Uh, we're really proud of our IDP department. Uh, we've got a lot of good things going on there. Uh, so definitely check us out at gridironratings.com. We actually just did a, a minor site redesign also. So all of the pages are up to date. John will have some, uh, some rankings on there very shortly. Uh, actually, they might already be posted, John. You might already be live on the site. And oh, there so, you go. Yeah, we've actually got a beautiful mug of him, too. We've got a profile set up for him right there. Uh, definitely come by for no other reason. Check out the the mug shot we've got of John. He's, he's such a beautiful human being. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great shot. It's a great site. We're really proud of it. We'd love everyone's feedback on it. Yeah, so de you definitely got to go check it out, man. Absolutely. The draft guide, the playbook is, is a beautiful, beautiful thing of uh, – a love of labor, we should call it. A labor of love, yeah, we should call it, right? I think everyone yeah. was with you. It, it was so much work that we got all the words backwards. Like, that's yeah, exactly. hilarious. The brain, our brains are, you know, discombobulated and whatnot. Um, but anyway, you, you definitely got to check it out and definitely go check out uh, the site of Gridiron Ratings. If you want to go check out my projections and my rankings as well, so you want to check that out, um, as well as the whole team. So definitely, Jeff, appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you for coming on. And uh, everybody, we'll catch y'all later. Peace. Thanks, John. My next guest, somebody I, I respect big time in the community, somebody I consider a friend, somebody who's been excited to get on here, uh, known by three words only, fire content only, also known by Real Deal Fantasy. Talk about my man, Laquan Jones. LQ, what is good, man? What's good, bro? I like that, that. I like that little intro for me, man. That that that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, <laughs> take those words. Fire content only. 
Hey, you know what? Maybe after this, we'll clip it out, give it to you, make it a little sound bite, whatever you, <laughs> whatever you want. Set to it do. up. <laughs> <laughs> but the topic of conversation today, talking about your LA Rams LQ, finished 10 and 6 in 2020, finishing in the uh, second in the NFC West, ended up winning in, a, in the playoffs against Seattle, 30 to 20 in the wild card round. I don't know. The other day, I against uh, talking it. To Amar about Seattle, I said 12 to 5. I don't know where I got that score from. <laughs> so my apologies to everybody. That might be how many times we beat them and they beat us. That <laughs> Maybe. might have been it. Maybe that's what it was. But the Rams are, uh, they're, you know, they're a bit of a different team heading into 2021. Matthew Stafford at quarterback making the uh, after making the decision to move on from Jared Goff. LQ, what are the expectations for the Rams as they head into 2021? Um, I have, I, I really have like, a realistic, you know, expectations for them. I'm not going to say Super Bowl or bust. I want to say, you know, probably another 10 and 6, you know, 11 and 5 season. I really feel like, you know, we still need work in some areas. I mean, we just lost Cam Akers, so that running game is a little bit limited. But I definitely think, you know, Stafford comes in <coughs> as an upgrade, you know, from Jared Goff. So the playbook opens up a lot more that Sean McVay can play with. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll definitely get into the Cam Akers injury when we get yeah. to the running back position. Can but we not though. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> now nah, I'm playing. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you, bro. Like, cause I did, I really I was really hurt by it. But sucks. Let's let's talk about Matthew Stafford, man, because you talked yeah. about this offense and how it could really open up with Stafford at the helm. Enters in as the Rams' new quarterback. You know, he was underappreciated by by many, mainly because of the lack of success that he had, the lack of winning they had in Detroit over the last 10 years, but he's a guy over the last 10 seasons played 152 of a possible 160 games. Uh, so, you know, he's despite the, the many injuries that he's dealt with, had another 4,000 yard season, 26 touchdowns to just 10 interceptions was the QB 18 in terms of fantasy points per game at 16.3 uh, P- or fantasy points per game expected to get a boost playing with the man that is Sean McVay though, going off the board around the QB 12, Around the 7-8 turn, LQ, how do you approach Stafford in your drafts this year? So you approach him by not reaching. I mean, that's basically what any player, but I really think, you know, where his ADP at is really where you want him. I really have him finishing, you know, between QB 10, QB 14. That's really where I got him locked in to where that's like a reasonable spot. So when you go into draft day, I mean, he's a solid, you know, you know, late round QB you can get as your QB one, you know, going to the weeks and then you stream the second quarterback. But I really feel like, you know, he's going to be putting up enough numbers. There's going to be enough volume for those wide receivers to be able to put up big points. And that just makes Stafford better, better. I mean, I'm not going to screen top 10, but he could be in that ball area. No, definitely. I mean, I have him at QB 14. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I agree with you. 10 to 14 range totally makes sense. I think the you can, depending on the league that you're in and the, how casual your league mates might be, Matt Stafford could be a guy that potentially goes real late in your league later than, you know, where we're seeing him go at the 7-8 turn, potentially yeah. even round 13, 14, 15. And if you could, you know, like we talk about late round quarterback a lot and just fill out a team and Matt Stafford is like your one to your second to third or third to last pick. That's a really good setup there, depending on what you did in those earlier rounds. Oh, for sure. I mean, you're getting the, a, a gem that late. You're you're getting somebody that's going to be putting up, you know, he's going to have his 30-point weeks. He's going to have multiple weeks where he's having 25 to 30 points. So you definitely want a guy like that. And you mentioned he only had 10 interceptions last year. I expected way more. 
Kenny G out, you know, with him dealing with injury and not many more weapons out there for him to use. Play calling was very suspect over there in Detroit for the last couple of years. So it's like, what did you really want him to do? That O-line was good, but the running game was so bad. They were ranked at the bottom of the table of them, you know, rushing yards per game, rushing attempts per game. They were all the way at the bottom of the table with a top 10 O-line. It just didn't make sense. So without having a run game, without having a wide receiver core, what did they really expect out of Matthew Stafford? So I'm really like, I'm on a high, you know, respect line with Matthew Stafford being that he's able to play through injury, being that he's able to go out there and put everything on the line for a losing team, for an organization that doesn't appreciate him. So him with this new chapter, him with this fresh start with the Rams, that's only going to motivate him. He's happier now. The sun's shining over there in L.A. He has weapons from top to bottom in every position. He has a well, he had a great running back. He still has a decent running back. He has a wide receiver core. That's probably the best wide receiver core he's ever had since Megatron. So I definitely think, you know, you're giving him a, what, top two, not two defense. What are we really talking about? Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. This is why, you know, you're getting the gem in those later rounds when you target Matthew Stafford because he never had this around him. He never had a run game. He never had a defense that's top five. He never had a wide receiver core collectively this good. So, man, you got to jump on that Matthew Stafford in the, la- in the later rounds because you're going to miss out on something special. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there with Matthew Stafford. I mean, ideally, if you even if you're playing two quarterback leagues, he makes a ton of sense. Uh, if you can get him as as your number two quarterback or even your first yeah. quarterback and then first try to get try to get, get him matched up with a Joe Burrow in a super flex league, you yeah. get him with a, a Dak Prescott. Oh, my God. What are we talking yeah. about? You're yeah. winning. You're winning. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I think what's understated, like understated the play calling upgrade that he's getting, like you mentioned, yeah. like he suffered with, you know, well, Matt Patricia, we realized was suffocating Daryl Bevel, but he really didn't have. Oh, Sean McVay is by far the best play caller he'll ever have. So <laughs> I want to say it. I wanted to say it, but yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Let's get into the running back position. And honestly, <clears throat> the unfortunate news: Cam Akers tearing the Achilles. That was definitely disheartening. Wish him nothing but the best in his recovery from that injury. But enter Daryl Henderson. Seems to be the next man up. He was the second leading rusher by way of carries last year and yards, turning 138 carries into 624 yards and five touchdowns. Also added 16 receptions for 159 yards and another touchdown was the RB 43 in PPR points per game with 8.7. I don't know if the Rams will trust him necessarily as, as the workhorse. They seem to trust Akers at times to be uh, a workhorse. Akers had three different games in the regular season where he saw more than 20 carries, also had a 28-carry uh, game in the playoff win over Seattle, saw the Rock 49 times in those two playoff games for the Rams. Henderson, on the other hand, has one career 20-carry game in his in his career with the, with the Rams. I mean, only been in the league, is entering his third season, but I do like Henderson, but I think that he, the, he probably fits better in a committee not going to report on his ADP because that's going to change. But yeah. wh- are where are you willing to take Henderson in drafts, and how do you see this playing out in L.A.? Um, from a fantasy standpoint, I am hands off of any Rams running back going into this season for the simple fact, one, is too early to determine his ADP, and drafts are around the corner. It's the middle of July. You're going to have guys reaching on him. I'm, I'm not liking his ADP if it ends up in the fifth round or anything higher. Even a little bit later than that, it's like a little distasteful because we know they're probably going to add a veteran. And if they don't, 
then we already know they're probably just going to lean more onto the passing game. They're not really going to have the same game plan that they were going into the season with of a balanced offense, being able to run the ball with Hendo, with Akers. But now that it's Hendo, I don't know if he can handle that full workload. I definitely think, you know, it plays a factor in Sean McVay's system. I think he's not exactly doubting the guys behind Henderson right now, like Xavier Jones or Jake Funk. I don't think he's doubting them. I just don't think he's going to pay too much attention. He's not going to make the offense the focal point of a run game. So I definitely think this is a, a big upgrade for, you know, the pass catchers. I definitely think, you know, they should bring in a veteran, maybe like Deion Lewis, maybe like Duke Jones. I can catch the ball out of the backfield, take less, you know, hits off of Darrell Henderson. So whatever they can do to take a little bit off of, you know, Hendo's plate, I think it would definitely help to go back into somewhat of that game plan to have a balanced offense. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's tough to because you have people that say, oh, he's bona fide, at least RB2, right? He's got to be RB2 in that territory. And I think if you project them out for the whole season of touches, yeah, he'll finish as an RB2. But what's the likelihood that he fits that the Rams view him in that workhorse type role where he is seeing 20 touches a game? you know, or even, even 15 touches a game. Like, I don't know how much, how often that happens. I think he's a guy that'll see, you know, somewhere between eight to 12 touches in, in every yeah. game. And there's not much that you could really do with that unless you're getting a lot of reception work, which, you know, maybe if they increase to a passing game, they, they increase the volume in the passing work. Maybe Henderson gets some, some work that way. Interesting question. Cause when I first projected it out, he fell somewhere in line with Chase Edmonds, who we talk about next in the next segment, but I'm going to ask you if you're drafting, I mean, Chase Edmonds has a, an, an AP of RB 26, somewhere around that range, Henderson or a Chase Edmonds. Mm. Ah, see, I think a lot of people are having their expectations for Chase a little too high because them signing James Conner is kind of a sign of like, we need help. So, Hmm. I might have to go Hendo. I might have to go Hendo. Only only because it's like slightly. It's not like a clear you know, landslide. I really think because of the better offense, I want to say. I want to say they don't have to worry about a mobile quarterback like Kyler Murray over there. He might take some of those touches as well. He's definitely on pace to get 1,000 yards at rushing. So I think that plays a role into there where that takes a little bit off of Chase and Connor as a collective. So I'm going to lean on Hendo because he'll get – most of the goal line work. He'll get most of the, you know, passes out of backfield if that's, you know, playing for him. You know, I, I definitely like the analysis there because, you know, Hen, you know, Henderson's a guy like we talked about. He's similar to Chase Edmonds and how they're kind of profiled and how people might view them as they can't be workhorse backs. They're undersized. Yeah. They're even at similar sizes, 5'8", like 210 pounds. So I, I thought it was an interesting conversation, just an interesting point. But let's move on to the wide receiver position. And, and Jared, Groff, Jared Groff struggled at times last year. We saw the wide receivers struggle a bit at times as a result of that. Robert Woods had 129 targets, which he turned into 936 reception or 936 yards. Uh, and six, <laughs> 90 receptions, but it was 90. Yeah, he's good for 90. I think yeah, back-to-back seasons he had 90. <laughs> yeah, with six touchdowns. Uh, the receptions and, and touchdowns both matched career highs for him. The yep. yards per game was his lowest as a as a Ram though, um, you know was the wide receiver 19 in PPR points per game at 15.3. Cooper Cup on the other hand disappointed a little bit 
Moore finishing as the wide receiver 30 in PPR points per game at just under 14 points, had 124 targets, which he turned into 92 catches, 974 yards, and just three touchdowns. Not the production I think managers were were looking for, especially in that touchdown department. Woods going off the board as the wide receiver 17, Cup as the wide receiver 22. How much value is here? Um, great, honestly, because they're steals. You're getting them in the fifth round. I mean, you got guys like we run it back to Chase Edmonds. We got guys that are going in the fifth, sixth round. I'd rather take the value there at wide receiver instead of taking Chase Edmonds. I really think the wide receiver value there is great. You got DJ Moore sitting there. You got guys like, you know, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. I mean, Amari Cooper. All these guys are sitting in those rounds. I'd rather take my shots on them because there's wide receiver one value there. There's guys out there that are going to be able to have enough volume to be fantasy relevant every single week. So instead of, you know, taking that shot on a Chase Edmonds down there or Darrell Henderson, I'm going to go wide receiver there. So the value there is to the moon now, being that Stafford is the quarterback. I know we all know about Jared Goff and his struggles in accuracy downfield, taking the deep shots, and then not really just having the heart or the leadership to be, you know, the captain of that ship. So I really think, you know, that's what really led for him to, you know, exit out. He didn't meet Sean Bay standards. I really think, you know, Goff is going to do fine. He's going to do what he can do. I mean, finished QB 20 last year. I really feel like, you know, He'll fit the standards of Detroit or whatever they got going on over there. So I really feel like, you know, the wide receiver core, you're you're getting the gem. You're you're getting guys like Cup, who's gonna be a huge red zone, you know, target. He's definitely gonna be eating on the touchdowns. We see him finish wide receiver five with what, like 10, 10 touchdowns, 10 to 12 touchdowns. I think it was something crazy like that. So he definitely was up there that year where he was tied with Kenny Galladay and touchdowns. So I really feel like, you know. Robert Woods, he plays a role where he's versatile. He's getting the rushing attempts. I mean, if you look at the last three years, he's been getting tons of rushing attempts out of that jet sweep. So you're getting the yards on the ground with him. You're getting a guy who can take the deep shots. I mean, Robert Woods is fast, man. People forget how fast he is. He has that, you know, breakaway speed. So I really feel like he could easily play that nine route. He could easily play the fade. He could do whatever you need him to do. He's just an overall great wide receiver, man. Yeah, Cooper Cup did have that 10-touchdown season. Yeah. And like you said, I, I'm totally in on these guys as well. I think they're complete values. They're they're kind of being priced at what what they were, what they produced last year. And you're getting the quarterback yeah. upgrade. So it only makes sense to buy in at them. Which one of these guys do you prefer, though, at their <laughs> prices? I mean, like I said, according to 444.com's multi-site ADP, Woods is the wide receiver 17. Cups the wide receiver 22. So they're basically in the same ballpark. But which one of these guys do you think has the better season? So not looking at my Scott Fishbowl draft. So I was sitting on the board with, you know, Woods and Cup in my face. I honestly went Woods just because I, I feel like he's going to get more receptions, like in PPR format. I feel like the, the rushing ability is there for him. He's going to get those. He might get a couple rushing touchdowns, et cetera. I really feel like, you know, he just does – a little bit more than Cup, and we're depending on Cup really to be the guy that get the receptions and the touchdown. So I really feel like you know with the with the you're on the clock, you're looking at Woods and Cup. I think I'm going Woods, but if I miss out on Woods, I'm actually happy that I can wait. You know, a little bit later to get Cup, which is also great. Yeah, I mean these guys, like you said, 
you know, the the receptions and the touchdowns, the receptions are going to be there for Cooper Cup. It just matters are the touchdowns going to be there as well. These guys pretty much the last two years, even the last three years, Cooper Cup only played eight games in 2018. But they pretty much put up similar stat lines. They get this, almost the same amount of targets. Yeah. They, get this, they get almost the same amount of yardage. But Cooper Cup is getting the touchdowns, and, and that's where he really makes the difference there. But we talk about the wide receiver position, you know, you talked about how this team might go to more of a, a pass centric offense. This is something I thought about as we were prepping, as I was prepping for the show, which was the Rams ran a lot of 12 personnel. We know last year, we know that in prior years though, they were a heavy 11 personnel team, meaning they had three wide receivers on the field. So we've seen production from the wide receiver three in the past, whether it was Brandon cooks or, um, Sammy Watkins or yeah. even Josh Reynolds at times last year. Um, Deshaun Jackson, he signed with the Rams in the offseason. Obviously, Van Jefferson returning a uh, second year, second round pick from from yeah. last season. And then there's Tutu Atwell, who is a second round pick this year. Laquan, did any of these guys interest you as a wide receiver three option? Van Jefferson, 110 percent. I think he is the longevity of that position at the wide receiver three. I think Deshaun Jackson will give us three good quarters week one, and then he's on IR by the end of the game. Um, Tutu Atwell, he comes in running the nine route. He does a little couple of jet sweeps, but mostly going to be on kick return, punt return. I don't really see him filling that role to be the guy, even though the draft capital is there. Like, that's always going to be mentioned, but we don't have first-round picks, so therefore we kind of just do what we want in the draft, and it's been working. So I'm not really going to take draft capital really into consideration. I'm going into consideration of what's said about these guys. So the first week of training camp, we hear that, you know, Tutu Atwell basically, you know, taking special team reps. That's what was a given. I mean, the guy is 154 pounds or something like that. I don't expect him to be out there stepping up on Van Jefferson. Because if you look back to when they drafted Van Jefferson, I say this a lot, but they compared their excitement of landing them because they thought they weren't going to land him. They compared their excitement of landing him to Cooper Cup. So when they got Cooper Cup, they thought they had a out of the park, and we see how that's happening now to where Cooper Cup is a star in that offense. They had plans for Van Jefferson. So them constantly bringing him up in press conferences, them constantly keep bringing him up saying they have plans for him, I think Van Jefferson has a bright future, a really, really bright future with the Rams. And I think the back end of the season where we saw him get more snap opportunity, start getting way more involved, that was just a sign like, hey, we need to get this guy the ball in his hands. Yeah, definitely. He's he made an impact as the season went on. Uh, you know, he had was getting more snaps, like you mentioned, getting more involved in the offense, seeing more targets was also an impact. He made an impact in the second playoff game against the Green Bay Packers. Yes. You know, seven targets also caught a touchdown as well. So I I agree with you. You know, I, I this is why I bring fans of the show, because, you know, fr- fans of teams onto the show to talk about their teams, because. I didn't know about what that they had said that about Van Jefferson, that yeah. the excitement level was similar to Cooper Cup because it, I mean, it totally makes sense because Van Jefferson does remind me of Cooper Cup a little bit, not in terms of like the physicality and stuff. Cause they're Cooper not Cup's fast, but they, they're beating you off the line. They have great routes and they, that's the thing they mentioned with both of them. They're not the fastest guys, but mm-hmm. they manage to get open every single time. Just the football IQ is what really matters as well too. When they go into draft analysis, does this guy understand the route tree? Does this guy understand separation? Does this guy think like a quarterback? And that's exactly what you want in an all-around wide receiver. So they got themselves a gem with Van Jefferson. 
Absolutely, man. So, you know, we talked about we're talking about the wide receiver three. We're expecting maybe there's some production here. Yeah. What does that mean about Tyler Higby? Ah. <laughs> He's the return. As you know, as you know, I'm a big Higby, you know, hype train killer. I've been killing this hype train for the last two years. I mean, I really feel like people are living off the last five games where he was Bro, out there balling out. You, I'm not even sharing my show sheet. It's like literally <laughs> what I said. But it's like the last five games, like people are in love with that. But it's like, man, let's break it down real quick. If you have time, I'm going to break it down for you. Oh, go ahead. So the last five games, we're like, oh, my God, tight end one going into the next season. This is going to be great. Then you have to really look at it. Todd Gurley was broken. Brandon Cooks was hurt. Gerald Everett was hurt. Josh Reynolds was very undeveloped. He was not ready for that wide receiver role. So who the hell else is going to catch the ball? How else is that offense going to be like successful? So therefore, when you look at those five games, they did not translate to anything to the next season. And let's talk about before that five games. Why did it take four years for that to happen? Why did it take four years for that to happen to get five good games out of them? It's just not there, man. Like I, I rant on, I go on and on about this. But, like, mathematically, it's just not there. They're not a tight end friendly offense. You're seeing Cooper Cup and Robert Woods get 120 plus targets a piece three years in a row. And you're trying to sit here and tell me Tyler Higby is going to be fantasy relevant. He's going to have the volume when the wide receiver three, Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson combined it, ended up with 115 targets total. It doesn't happen because also the running backs get targets out of the backfield. It's just too many people. So, and and rant. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying. So how do you feel about his tight end 13 price tag? <laughs> Listen, man, I hate I hate talking bad about my guys. Let me put that out there. I, I'm a diehard Rams fan. I love my players. Love the coaches. I love the organization. I love everything about it. But when it comes to fantasy, man, money is on the line. Reputations are on the line. I'm not going to lie to you. He is not a guy you need to be drafting because – He's going to give you three weeks of four points, and then he's going to pop off that one game where he had three. He had three touchdowns last year in one game. Kudos to him. But nine times out of ten, he was on your bench. So, therefore, that's the headache you want to keep dealing with for the rest of the season. Don't do it. Just look elsewhere. Just don't do it. Please. It's a headache, man. Stay away. You heard it from the man himself, LQ himself. (laughs) Stay away from Tyler Higbee. Don't do it to yourself. Bro, I totally agree with you 110,000%, bro. Like, there's nothing, no fiber in my being that makes me want to believe in Tyler Higbee. I just, it's not going to happen for me, bro. So, I'll let somebody else do it. You know, I'd rather take Evan Ingram, who's going at, like, tight end 20 or 17 now. So, give me that all day. Um LQ, man, this was great, brother, but I got to ask you one more question, bro, before I let you go. How is this division breaking down? Where are the Rams finishing in this division? Oh, number one. Number one. I only say that because, one, I want to say the 49ers are probably going to be on tails because they had our number for the last couple of years. I think the 49ers defense is the difference maker here, and the fact they're able to kick our ass with uh, injured Jimmy G and they got Trey Lance, you know, going into this year. I really feel like, you know, they have our number. But we always pound on the Seahawks. The Cardinals, we always pound on. It's really just the 49ers defense, you know, that I really worry about. But, you know, with Robert Sala in, in New York now, I, I think uh, we might have a chance to actually just pound out that entire division and to be, you know, the top dogs once again. Yeah, I have the Rams finishing uh, first in this division, uh, just ahead of Seattle. 
I mean, it will be close, man, because number three in Seattle, I can never count that dude out for nothing, man. So, But he gets cold. He gets cold. As soon as it gets cold outside, he, he is locked up. <laughs> the kitchen is closed. So I'm good. When that season comes around, I'm good. I'm good. Because I see, oh. start seeing snow. We good. <laughs> All right. So that's the correlation. The first eight games and then oh, next first eight... eight games, he's good. And then, you know, he's cooking and then the kitchen's closed. The restaurant is out of business. LQ, brother, why don't you let everybody know what you got cooking, man? What you, you know, since we're talking about kitchens being open, <laughs> I know fire content only is always yes, is always open. So what's up, bro? Why don't you let everybody know what you're cooking, what you got going on, man? Hey, man, I got a bunch going on, man. I mean, you guys should check me out on YouTube right now, Real Deal Fantasy. You can check me out on Instagram, Twitter, basically anywhere where there's social media. I'm still even on Facebook. I'm in the fantasy groups out there, you know, communicating, answering questions, engaging on comments and stuff like that. I'm everywhere, man. But you could definitely check me out. You know, my website, realdealfantasyhq.com. You can also hit up the Real Deal Fantasy store for the T-shirts, Wolfpack T-shirts, fire content only. Got everything out there for you guys. Well, you heard it. Real Deal Fantasy. Make sure you go check him out. Look, man, he's not lying. Fire content only is not a myth. It is a real life thing. So don't be a sheep. Join the wolf pack. There we go. And my guy, LQ, brother, this was awesome, man. I I really appreciate you coming on. Everybody, we appreciate you for listening. And we will catch y'all later. Peace. Peace. Next guest, somebody I met in the community a while back. They are the uh, one of the three co-hosts for the Fantasy Fringe pod, podcast and YouTube channel. He is uh, one of the one of these co-hosts, like I mentioned, Andrew of the Fantasy Fringe. Andrew, thank you for coming on, man, and I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I just got my coffee ready. I'm ready to talk some Cardinal football. You're talking coffee. I'm talking about getting ready to go to sleep. I mean, that was that is what a three-hour time difference <laughs> will do to you. Uh, and so hopefully I can match your energy because I have not had any coffee. And uh, you know, after we record this podcast, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go pack because I have a trip tomorrow morning. So this ought to be a fun evening. Maybe I'll need some coffee. So, but um, definitely somebody who probably will. You know, I guess you just said you're going to have coffee, so you've had coffee. So maybe you don't need any right now, but you're probably juiced up about the topic today because we're talking NFC West. And anybody who's heard up to this part knows that there's only one team left in the NFC West, and that is Andrew York, Arizona Cardinals. They finished third in the NFC West with a record of 8-8 of eight and eight in 2020. They were a media darling, uh, you know, football prognosticators all summer. Kyler Murray was talked about as a dark horse MVP candidate. And while they took a, a step forward from the 5-11 and 11 year that they had the year prior, I think expectations were probably higher for the Cardinals in 2020 than, than what really happened. Entering year three of the Cliff-Kyler combination, Andrew, what are the expectations for the Cardinals in 2021? Yeah, so expectations are kind of uh, difficult to rein in right now, right, for the Cardinals, because I do believe that they're a great team, but they're also in the toughest division in football. So they have to go up against the Rams and the Seahawks and the 49ers, which are all great teams. And I feel like each one of those teams could win the division and each one of them could finish last in the division. So that's kind of tough. But when you look at Kyler Murray, right, because you brought that up, um, the year one to year two was actually a big jump. 
And I know he slumped at the end, but that was a shoulder injury. And you could tell that he wasn't running as much and he wasn't able to throw the ball down the field very often. Um, He had a really low yards per attempt at, what was it? Like seven. Yeah. 7.1. So it it was not a good um, yards per attempt for this season, but going into 2021, I have high expectations because not just what they did on the offense, but what they've done on the defense, especially if they get Chandler Jones re-signed. I know there's an issue with that right now, but I'm just going to say he's on the team. And with J.J. Watt on the other side, that could be nasty. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I you know, think, think about this defense more and more. They have made some serious improvements on that defensive line. I mean, the secondary still has some questions, but they improve that defensive line. Hopefully the thought there is that that secondary improves as, as a result. You add Zayvon Collins as well to your linebacking core. I know some people question that pick and that fit, but he's still a talented player that you're adding to your front seven. And then you also have Isaiah Simmons, who's returning from last year as well. The, you know, the Swiss army safety linebacker can kind of do it all chess piece there for the Arizona Cardinals on defense. I think, yeah, I mean, I think they can definitely make make that step forward. I know you talked about the division where they could finish from a divisional standpoint, and I think I agree with you that any one of these teams could really finish first, and any one of them could finish last. But for the Cardinals, like you talked about, Kyler Murray, he's the focal point. You know, like I mentioned before, dark horse MVP candidate around the summertime, and boy, did he pay off for fantasy managers because he he came out of the gate on fire. 11 straight games last year, last year, 11 straight weeks of at least 20 fantasy points to start the year did fade down the stretch. Like you talked about with the shoulder injury uh, that he picked up in week 11 against Seattle on the year, though, completed 67% of his passes for 3,971 yards, also through 26 touchdowns to just 12 interceptions. He was a monster on the ground, though, 819 rushing yards and 11 rushing touchdowns. Overall, he was the QB three in total fantasy points per game uh, behind Mahomes and Josh Allen. And, uh, you know, is there anything about the price tag here that you're questioning with Kyler Murray? And I just want to add, you know, just one point. He was actually on pace for just 10 yards, 10 yards short of the thousand yard season. If you look at just the, the 11 games in which he wasn't injured. But, Andrew, is there anything here about the price tag that you're questioning with um josh at with a uh sorry did i say well he was the qb3 in total fantasy points per game 23.7 points per game but going off the board is the qb3 behind allen and mahomes is there anything here that makes you question the price tag with with kyler murray no actually kyler murray is going around the uh the fifth round right now and i think that is the sweet spot for running back or for quarterback sorry in uh fantasy drafts because We see this shift happening where, you know, we used to be late round quarterback all the time, but now those top end guys you want so bad. I mean, you look at DFS last year and all the people in DFS wanted Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, one of those dominant guys on their team, Lamar Jackson, especially at the end of the year, Lamar was killing it. But Kyler, I think is, I think he could be number one quarterback again this year. He was the number one quarterback leading into his injury. So I do see that happening, especially if you look at what the Cardinals have done. They've kind of shown their hand, right? They went out 
and they said, we don't need a high volume running back. We don't need it. We're just going to throw the ball. So we'll get A.J. Green and we'll bring in Rondell Moore. So that's just going to help Kyler Murray They're just, uh, because they are second right now in pace of play. So they run a ton of plays. And that's what, you know, alludes to fantasy points is pace of play. And last year they were running the ball at a 56 percent rate. Well, if that transitions to a 40 percent rate and they're throwing the ball at a 60 percent rate. That just means Kyler Murray is going to be awesome for fantasy. Yeah, I think, you know, there's no reason why he can't be awesome again. You know, he's he was injured, obviously. That impacted how he was playing down the stretch. He would have had well over the 4,000 the 4, yards had he not suffered the injury. Uh, was on, again, I've referenced these first 10 games through those first 11 weeks, but he was on pace for 4,200 yards, 30 passing touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. And he was on pace of run, he was getting a touchdown a game, which is unlikely to happen. But when they get down by the goal line, Kyler Murray was the was the red zone weapon. And I think that that right there alone is worth having Kyler Murray on your team because the fact that he's he, he eleven rushing touchdowns last year is absolutely absurd number for a quarterback. Absurd. Absolutely, he is so good down at the red zone. He's such a threat that RPO is amazing down there. Is it, he's amazing at it. He's so quick. You just he he has that shiftiness to him that you just know that he's going to get eight plus rushing touchdowns every single year. You can just bank on it. I've had a a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, um, Sonny Platt, host of the Big Knowledge Football Fantasy Podcast. He one time said he he said to me once that Kyler Murray, he, when he thinks about he th- he likes to think about how many players do does a player need to play a, like a football game, you know, how many other players would they need? And he's, he said, Kyler Murray could probably play a football game by himself. <laughs> ever since he said it, I can't get it out of my head, <laughs> but let's move on to the running back position, man. And Ken, Kenyon Drake, no longer on the team says moving on to Las Vegas, but he was the leading rusher in 2020 in terms of carries 239 and yards at 955 to go along with 10 touchdowns, was the RB24 in PPR points per game at 12.8. Then there's Chase Edmonds, who returns after being the RB35 in PPR points per game at 10.5. He was third on the team in rushing with 448 rushing yards on 133 attempts. Also added 53 catches for 402 yards uh, and four touchdowns on about 60, 67 targets. Uh there are some concerns with Edmonds, you know, about him potentially being a lead back, but we did see him be a lead back against the Giants two years ago, where he had 30 touches, also had a 28 touch day against the Dolphins in 2020. So I think the coaching staff has put him in those positions at times. Then there's James Conner, who was brought in this year. He profiles more as the workhorse back from a body type and a, a you know, a, a history perspective. He was the RB25 last year in PPR points per game at 12.7. Connor has typically gotten a bad rep for, you know, mainly because of his inability to stay healthy. I, you know, I think some assume that he'll be the guy because, again, of his history of being a guy that can, quote unquote, handle a large workload week in and week out, week out. But, you know, with his injury history, it's hard to say if he actually can. As it currently stands, Edmonds has an ADP, according to 444.com's multi-site ADP, of RB24. 
James Conner has an ADP of RB38. How are you approaching this one, Andrew? Yeah, so both of these guys I'm not super excited about going in, but it depends on your draft strategy, honestly. Um, For me, if I'm trying to do the zero RB strategy, which I more times than not do not do this strategy, but if I am, Chase Edmonds and James Conner are targets. And it just depends on which one you believe in more. If you believe James Conner is going to come in and he's going to vulture all the touchdowns, which I actually do not prescribe to that. Um, I know a lot of people will because he's a bigger back, but Kyler Murray's down there and Chase Edmonds is actually good down at the red zone. He's, um, you know, Kamara-esque, not Kamara. I don't want to get anybody confused and think I'm saying he's Alvin Kamara. I'm saying just down at the red zone, they can run those same type of plays. And that's where Chase Edmonds scores, actually. So I don't see James Conner doing a whole lot other than just... I guess change a pace guy. That's what he is now. He's older and not too old, but his body's old. He's gone through so much in his life. So I just see him coming in and um, getting like maybe 10 touches. And then Chase Edmonds, he's going to probably get around, you know, 15 to 20 touches between the rushing and the passing game. Yeah, I think at one point last year we saw – this backfield get to a point where Kenyon Drake was just getting all the carries, no receptions and chase Edmonds was getting most of the receptions and he'd get some work in the carries, the carry department. And maybe you see a similar thing like that here with James Conner. I'm with you, man. I I mean, chase Edmonds to me, he's the guy that I would want. He's the guy that I prefer James Conner. I mean, I always have this saying here on the fantasy football diagnostics podcast, but life, death or death, taxes and James Conner getting injured in a primetime game. Those things are guaranteed in life. (laughs) And so, so it just, when I I don't know when the, when the Cardinals have a primetime game, but I would put money that, you know, we probably see James Conner tweak an ankle or a knee or something. And Chase Edmonds breaks out for like 30 carries or something like that. And then, but I think this could be a frustrating situation all season, right? We saw it. Like we saw it be a frustrating situation at points with um, David Johnson and his injuries. And so I think, you know, even last year, like I said, we saw it fluctuate a little bit. I do. If both guys are healthy, it's probably going to be a pain in the butt. But if James Conner does James Conner things and somehow misses a game because of of some kind of soft tissue injury or something, I think Chase Edmonds will have very useful weeks and so from your perspective like you were saying zero rb strategy i'm not one that subscribes to that but if i did chase edmonds is definitely on my radar yeah he'd definitely be a target for me um and i might do a couple drafts this year just to see how the zero rb strategy works i have done it in the past but it's been a few years but this year is creeping up to seem like that might be be a winning strategy again there are some late round guys that i like this year and chase edmonds is one of them i don't like him for how high he's going but i mean right at the back end of the rb2 i'm okay with it i can be okay with it yeah and i don't think there's any i just want to say that i don't think there's anything particularly wrong with doing zero rb i actually think that there i've been in drafts where i've had to do zero rb because that was the way my draft fell and so I think that obviously you have to kind of draft to your, you know, the way your room, you know, your room is because what happens if you're picking 12 in the first 11 picks are running back. So you're going to take 
the 12th running back or would you rather have the first wide receiver? I don't know. But let's move on to the wide receivers because we're talking about them. And DeAndre Hopkins was traded from Houston to Arizona, and many thought he would struggle a bit because of the quarterback change. You know, that you know, there was uh, a thought that while, you know, there was some data that supported some of the narrative that, you know, we've rarely seen quarterback or wide receivers switch teams and then be successful, but we've rarely seen a, a player as good as DeAndre Hopkins or a head coach slash general manager in this in the salary cap era as dumb as Bill O'Brien. But anyway, D Hop gets twenty eight to thirty percent of the targets wherever he, he pretty much goes or I mean whatever team he's been on, no matter the receivers that were around him, pretty much that's what he's gonna get. So naturally got 160 targets, which led the Cardinals by uh, more than 80 targets. He actually saw more targets than Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald combined, and they were second and third on the team respectively. He turned that into 115 catches, 1,407 yards, and six touchdowns, finishing as the wide receiver four in total fantasy points, uh, 18 fantasy points per game. Has some more competition in, in terms of targets this year, but should still see north of 140 targets going off the board currently as the wide receiver four. How we feel about D-Hop at his price, Andrew? Yeah, I think he's priced right. Right there, wide receiver four, wide receiver five. I think that's where Hopkins deserves to be. I understand that there are a lot of wide receivers in Arizona right now, but we, we're, we'll we talk about A.J. Green. But Rondale Moore, how much of an impact is he really going to make year one? I love Rondale Moore. I was a huge fan of him coming out of college, and I think he's going to be special. But as a rookie... He's going to be playing sparingly. He's not going to be in there all the time, I don't believe. I do believe by the end of the season, he could be the wide receiver too on this on this team. But that's going to take time. Christian Kirk, I think he's you know going to be going into the slot, which will be great for him. But Hopkins is still the number one guy. And Kyler and him have a connection already. And it's just going to build this year. So... The only thing I would say is that his touchdowns could regress upward and he could have double digit touchdowns. That's possible. His uh, yards and whatnot. I think he's right right there. Twelve to fourteen hundred yards. His target share is going to be roughly the same. So I'm in on Hopkins this year and I think uh, wide receiver four. I'm cool with it. I would probably be wide receiver five, but that's, you know, picking hairs. Yeah, I I, uh, I initially put my projections out back in June 1st, and I think I had gotten, like, not eviscerated. I don't, this is the wrong word. But a lot of people were upset with where I had DeAndre Hopkins uh, in terms of my wide receivers. I think at the time I had him at, like, right outside my top 10, which was, I admit, was kind of low at the time. I've since moved him up to 7. But it's not because I think he's going to be any worse, or it's not because I don't have faith in the Cardinals. I actually just really like the additions that they've that they've made at the wide receiver position and so i think that you know he will still see the significant amount of targets he will still lead the team with targets i have him with 149 targets so it's going to be okay but i do agree with you i think he the touchdowns do go up because you can't score you can't have that many yards and that many targets and only have six touchdowns um very hard to do that and so i think we do see double digit touchdowns from from him. I mean, Kyler Murray is not going to score a rushing touchdown a game again. There's got to be some, some of those, some of that touchdown production has to come from somewhere, 
But, you know, we talked about the wide receiver, too, a little bit. There are a few guys here that kind of fit the, the, the mold in terms of a wide receiver, too, from in terms of fantasy production that we could target on this team. Uh, A.J. Green, he was brought over from Cincinnati. You know, now had this duo been put together maybe three, four years ago, we'd be talking about probably one of the, the best duos of all time in terms of wide receivers. But both a bit older, especially A.J. Green, who enters his age 33 season. He had the unforgettable season with the Bengals where he had a career low in receiving yards at 523. Also two touchdowns uh, with a major career low catch rate at 45 percent. He was the wide receiver 68 in PPR points per game at seven points per game. Seemed to really fall off a cliff in Cincinnati. I, I think, you know, he he does kind of fit into this cardinal scheme where the, the wide receivers seem to have a bit of a lower A dot. Um, then enter also Christian Kirk, who you, you previously mentioned. He's flashed at times in big ways, but just hasn't been able to really string it together with any consistency. 14 games last year, he turned 79 targets and 48 receptions for 621 yards and six touchdowns, finishing as a wide receiver 51. And then last, but definitely not least, you talked about him before. I'm absolutely in love with the dude, but that's Rondell Moore drafted as the uh, drafted in the second round out of Purdue. I think he is a phenomenal fit for this offense. Just when you consider, again, they run a lot of screens, um, getting players in space. And I think he also provides an element of a deep passing game that I think the Cardinals were trying to get out of Andy Isabella, which hasn't quite been there with much consistency in terms of ADP, Andrew, AJ Green's the wide receiver 61. Kirk is the wide receiver 74 and Moore is the wide receiver 80. How are you kind of attacking the uh, wide receiver two or three position in Arizona? If you are at all. Yeah, mostly I'm staying away um, from, all the rest of the receivers other than Hopkins in Arizona. And it's not to say that AJ Green and Christian Kirk cannot be wide receiver three, wide receiver fours. It's just going to be, they're better best ball players to me. Um, because the thing is, you're not going to know when they hit and when they miss. And when they miss, they can miss to be zeros. And it depends on how you go about your draft. Some people are okay with, you know, boom bust guys, others, you know, you want in there to be that solid player. And I do have boom bust guys, but they're not these ones. If that makes sense. Um, AJ green is, you know, wide receiver 61, take them, you know, see what happens. You can drop them. Those are always, you're going to find out what he is, you know, game one, game two. So he's the easy drop candidate. If he's no good, Christian Kirk, I I would be more inclined to take him than I would AJ Green or Rondell Moore just because I think that he's been miscast in Arizona for so long because of Larry Fitzgerald being there that this year he might actually play his natural position in the slot. And that could be really, really good things for Christian Kirk. Rondell Moore, we were talking about, I, I really like him. He's a great prospect, but fantasy wise year one, you don't have to draft him. He's not probably going to do anything the first eight weeks of the season, and he's going to be on that waiver wire when it is that he pops off. And then just spend your fab on him. Because you don't want a guy that you're just holding on your roster. We're talking redraft here and not dynasty league. So in redraft, you do not want these guys just clogging your roster. It's not worth it. Just pick them up when, when it's time. Yeah, or, you know, pro tip here, you could just, the Cardinals play the later games typically. Uh, 
So me being on the East Coast, I've I have I don't know. Uh, I'm just gonna say random running back Ty Johnson. Ty Johnson, I have him on my team for the one o'clock games, and I see he hasn't done anything. And so I, I I'll if the format allows, I'll drop him. And right before that four o'clock game, I'm like, oh hey, let me pick up Rondell Moore. Maybe this game's the game, you know. And so that way you don't have to spend exactly. the fab. But I'm definitely into that idea because I think Rondell Moore can make an impact later as the season progresses, like you said earlier. Christian Kirk moving back into the slot. That's not something I've really thought about. But when you when you honestly think about it, Christian Kirk is better suited as a slot receiver. I mean, he can play some on the outside, but I think to your point, you want him in the slot. And so I think Absolutely. with Larry Fitzgerald moving on, I think that's actually a pretty good um pretty good buy low candidate there. That's interesting. I haven't really thought about that all that much. But, you know, we know that Cardinals run a lot of uh, what we call 10 personnel. (laughs) We've seen them run quite a bit. They run a lot of three wide receiver sets as well, but 10 personnel means there's no tight end on the field. Um, We saw last year Dan Arnold, he, he was fifth on the team with targets, 31 catches, 438 yards, four touchdowns. I'm pretty sure I think the Cardinals have Max Williams and Daryl Daniels on the roster. According to 444's ADP, neither of these guys is getting drafted. Um, does the tight end position exist in Arizona from a fantasy standpoint? No, Max Williams is a good run blocker, and that's it. And that's okay, because that's why they kind of brought in A.J. Green. They have another big guy. They're fine without a tight end. This offense doesn't need a pass-catching tight end. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think they could literally go the whole season without playing a tight end, and nobody would even bat an eye. Um, I mean, obviously, you'd play a tight end, but without utilizing the tight end in any significant way, I think I don't think anybody would bat an eye. Um, Andrew, man, this was this was awesome, brother, but before – I end this one and let you go, man. I got to ask you, how is this division breaking down and where are the Cardinals going to finish in it? Oh, put me on the spot, huh? Okay. So Arizona Cardinals end the season, 10 wins. So I'm taking the over. Okay, so where does that get them in terms of the division? Is that going to put them at? Number two. Number two in the division. Okay, behind. Behind the Rams. Okay. Okay. I think you are the uh, two of four that have picked the Rams to win this division. I think you're the highest on the Cardinals, which I'm not going to call you out for being biased potentially at all. But – I have a question. I mean, maybe you can write me, right? Because I've had this theory, and I love Cliff Kingsbury going into last year. I thought that some of the adjustments that he made in 2019 showed that he wasn't going to be one of those coaches that was stuck in his old ways, that wasn't stuck in his college ways, and was going to adapt and learn. And then I kind of didn't see much of that in 2020. I thought that you know, I, I don't think that he's done a lot to help Kyler Murray from a play calling perspective. Um, and so I have questions and I've had reservations. I actually have the Cardinals finishing last in the division. And 
I've thought of, I've I've got them at the their over under uh, the over under I have from earlier in the year is set at eight. I I have them projected for the under here, and so because of that, I thought I've been on this this uh, mindset that Cliff Kingsbury is probably coaching his last season with the Cardinals, but it seems like am I off track with that with the uh, that that line of thinking, Andrew? Um, to be honest, even if they come in and miss the playoffs again, I don't see this as Cliff Kingsbury's last season. And I know that the uh, the NFL likes to just recycle all of these different coaches one after another if they don't take them to the playoffs. But I don't, I don't see that happening this time. I think Cliff Kingsbury has a few years left before he gets canned. And that Kyler Murray-Cliff Kingsbury relationship means so much that it's hard to break that apart, I think. So no, I, I don't see it as like an end-all be-all. If they miss the playoffs this year, he's done. I do believe that he needs to open up the playbook a little bit more. But then again, Kyler was still, you know, learning. Like you saw him as a rookie. Yeah, he made, you know, some great things, but he also took a lot of sacks. He wasn't processing everything um, so quick. And then this past year, he still needs to process things quicker and then I also notice, like when I watch him, sometimes he thinks too fast and he doesn't let the play fully develop. And then other times he does the opposite. So he's still learning. Also, he has the potential of being one of the great quarterbacks that we talk about, you know, 10 years from now. But he was only in the league for two years. And same with Cliff. He's only been there two years. So. I think we have a few years left. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that comes from, I guess, me thinking that, hey, you come in here, you convince them that they don't have to draft. They they can get rid of this quarterback that they drafted the year before. And obviously, Kyler Murray has been a great talent, uh, but it's resulted in like 13 wins in two years. And I just I guess my thought was that if he doesn't if they don't make the playoffs, it's hard to go three years in a row not make the playoffs and still keep your job. But I definitely do hear what you're saying. Definitely makes a ton of sense. And uh, hopefully, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for the Cardinals, man. I'm rooting for Kyler Murray. I think he's phenomenal. And I, I want him to really develop into one of the, these top quarterbacks in the league. So definitely want nothing but the best for, for him. And hopefully the Arizona Cardinals, we know the NFC West is going to be fun. And so let's uh, – it's going to be a tough one, but hey, man, you know, hopefully my New York Jets helped you out by by bringing Robert Sala over, help maybe weaken a division rival. Although Arizona gives it to San Fran and Kyler Murray specifically gives it to San Fran when they play. So they do. that'll that'll be an interesting that would be an interesting one anyway. But Andrew, man, I appreciate you, brother. Why don't you let everybody know what it is that y'all got cooking over at Fantasy Fringe? and where they can follow you and all your work and uh, everything else you guys got going on. Yeah, so make sure to follow me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Fringe. And then you can also find the Unicorn on Twitter at Unicorn underscore Fringe. And we are actually coming back to the scene of podcasting. We took a break uh, during the offseason. We do that just to regroup and we've been, you know, remodeling the house and everything. But we will be back actually this weekend. This is our first podcast back for the season, and I appreciate you bringing us on for this. And we'll have an episode out on Monday. 
Well, would you look at that? I feel so honored. Your first podcast of the of the season. And, uh, you know, let's call it the warm up before we bring you guys That's back right. back in on Monday. So make sure you check out Fantasy Fringe. Make sure you go check out Andrew and make sure you go check out the unicorn as well. Both phenomenal people, uh, phenomenal analysts. And their show is great and definitely a good time. So you definitely want to check that out. And everybody, we appreciate y'all for listening and hope you enjoyed it. Make sure y'all catch us next week when we go over the AFC West. Peace, y'all.